You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 215 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stemmings and joining me in the barn studio this week, as always, is my co-host Matt Smith. Indeed. Hello, everyone. He's, oh, he, that was very abrupt. So, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I tried to do something and it didn't work. I'm sorry. I, I'm, were you, were I, you playing uh, yes, during the opening credits of the show? I was playing during the opening credits. I'm sorry. Oh, so there we are. That's it. Sack the producer. Right. Please. If anybody else would like to have a go, by the way... <laughs> Uh, this seat is always available. Uh, <laughs> please, oh, please, someone else sit in this seat, please. And also joining us this week from his uh, big sprawling mansion estate, it's uh, our awesome other co-host of the show, Mr. Neville Bounds. Good evening. Hope everybody is well. Yep. And um, it's been one of those weeks again, very hectic, uh, a bit late in joining today, but it's one you, of those... You wouldn't have it any other way, sir. You, you, no, like, you like uh, to be no. so crazily busy, you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, looking forward to the show, lots to talk about on this week's show, lots of stuff going on. Stuff, I like stuff, stuff is good. And also joining us in the barn studio this week, a real treat for everyone, especially uh, my wife Gemma, because she loves him. He's back again with us, and uh, it's our special guest host of the show. He's the prince of everything to do with the passenger experience. It's Owen. How are you doing, guys? How are things? Uh, good to be back here in the studio. Thanks for having me back. So you were back for the bank holiday weekend then, uh, Owen? No flying? or uh, No, no, I'll be flying the bank holiday I've yeah. been flying the bank back to holiday. work Sunday. Oh yeah, no, where are you off to? Anyway, nice. I think I'm actually going to Dublin on the bank holiday on the Monday. Uh, on the Monday, I think. Okay, I am. so that'll be good. That'll be good. I like the Dublin flights. It's good oh, to get back nowhere home. sunny then. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, sadly not. It might be sunny in Ireland. You never know. <laughs> oh, I doubt it. <laughs> and it doesn't really happen. <laughs> and also joining us on the show this week, another guest host. I mean, we're spoiling everyone this we week. Are, we really are. And uh, he is, it's safe to say, he's the, uh, he's the man who uh, puts the redness into APG and the, uh, the amazingness into... Is that because his amazing. beard makes him look like something? I know. And he's also <laughs> counting down the days until he is free from flying. It's Captain Nick. Ho, ho, ho. Hello. Hello. Plane Talking UK, you wonderful guys. Uh, great to be on your show. Thank you very much indeed. I was getting really bored with APG. This makes a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> makes a fine break. How, how's, the, uh, how's the countdown timer going, Nick? Because I know you've got this... Uh, you've got a kind of <laughs> countdown of how many days, days you've got left. Well, uh, if you'd given me a moment's notice, oh, I oh. could have pulled it up. Yes, uh, and yes. I, 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 he I, does that a lot I, to people, I by know. the way. I wouldn't am feel I, too. Am smart. I allowed to say that? <laughs> uh, and show you. In fact, I'm I'm just firing it up right now. It's <laughs> okay. it's getting you know to some interesting numbers. Is it? Uh, yes, it yeah. certainly has. We've through the 500 barrier. <gasps> now 492. <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally just like it's last day at work. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. 492 days, which I might add is um, only 70 weeks. Uh, not quite <laughs> so good on the allow hours. Um, right, it's a bit frightening on the hours. 1,812 hours. Okay. But the seconds are uh, looking fine. Only 42.5 million seconds. <laughs> Lovely. So. Right, okay. Well, on the, on the plus <laughs> side, the seconds are going down every second, I suppose. So they are. They're going down second. quite quickly. <laughs> you don't, you don't. So welcome, wow. everyone, who's joined us in the live chat room on YouTube this evening. It's the 4th of May, 
2018. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th. Ah, you see what I did there. I hate that. So it's been all that work. I'm a Star Trek man, not a Star Wars man. You could be both, you know. Okay. So, (laughs) welcome everyone who's joined us in the chat room. Found someone you have. It's uh, we've got actually we've got another APG uh, host in the chat room. Doctor Steph's in Uh-oh. the chat room. Uh, we've got Liz Piper in the is she, chat room. Is she now off doing another marathon? She's probably just she's probably doing a marathon now. Yeah, probably. Uh, Andy Furlong, Neil well, to be, Landwall. To be, fa- to be fair, Nick is about to do a marathon because he's doing APG straight after I this. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got Mariana in the chat room as well. Uh, we've got Jenny Parkinson. She's, ah, the uh, lovely she's Jenny. joining us. From Jenny, Rome. we shall see you very soon. Hang on, yes, Jenny, we will see you very. Which where's my? Oh, the camera's <laughs> there. <laughs> Honestly. Anyway, yeah, carry on. We've got telly. Lane Street. I'm not very good at uh, Lane Street is also in the chat room. <laughs> David Corston's in the chat room. Oh, Hello, David. David. Hope you're Thank well, you. David. Uh, we are just scrolling up the list here. Ivor McDonald as well. He's joined us in the chat room. Now, I saw in the BFS ch- chat, actually, that he's not been able to make a live show before, and he's actually managed to make a live show today. So welcome, mm. Ivor. Well welcome. done. Yeah. And previous guest on the show, Stephen Ivey. He's also ah, in, the, uh, legend in the chat room. Hopefully he's not oh, um, hi, flying while, uh, while watching the show. He could mm, be, though. Oh, knows, you never know. You never know. <laughs> so uh, welcome to everyone who has joined us uh, today. So we've got, uh, we've got loads of news stories this week to get through. We've also got uh, a nice... Nice, fresh, new Nev's passenger experience. Fresh out of the can. Fresh yes. out of the can. And, uh, yeah, Nev's, uh, Nev's going to bring that to you later on the mm-hmm. show. But we have got loads of news to get through, so uh, we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, why not? Yeah, I'll give it a go. If you're ready, Nev. Yes, definitely. If you're ready, Owen. Ready as I'll ever be. Captain Nick. I'm ready, except did you realise tomorrow is the revenge of the fifth? Uh. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Let's that go. Is, uh, thank you, Stephen. <laughs> so, kicking oh. off this week's first news story, I'll turn his mic down. <sighs> I've got the control here to turn his mic down. He Not for much longer, you haven't. And this one is on the skift.com website. Uh, this is uh, going to be uh, obviously very sad news for Captain Nick here for this first news story. But Qantas is the latest major global airline to give up on the Boeing 747. Aww, but so, Nick loves that aeroplane so much. I know, I know. Aviation <laughs> nerds surely will be upset. Qantas is retiring their Boeing 747s. Uh, the aircraft's been the world's most iconic jet for decades. But times are changing and airlines now prefer more fuel-efficient twin-engine jets. Sadly, only a few airlines, such as British Airways, Lufthansa, Korean Air and Air China seem committed to the aircraft beyond 2020. They need to be committed. <laughs> I know. Love it. And uh, funnily enough, you've got to subscribe to read the rest of the story, which oh, do you didn't tell me that earlier <laughs> when I actually had this story up for the first time. No, I've got it here without Have you got it? Up. Oh, carry on then. Without, it's, it's just, ready to be started. <laughs> Oh, here we go. So another major global airline is planning to retire its uh, 747s uh, for a new generation of aircraft. Qantas is going to retire its last Boeing 747-400s by 2020. I assume that is actually a picture of a 747. Yes, that's your 747 SP. Yeah, special <laughs> performance. Uh, not that's... of them made. Um, it was scrapped in June 1996. Yeah, um, and it's a slough. 
I beg your pardon. <laughs> short, little, ugly... Oh, OK, right. Yeah. Lovely. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so the aircraft re- really? uh, retirements and replacements are the latest in a series of changes at Qantas over the last decade from Irish CEO Alan Joyce, who has turned the airline from a laggard into a top performer. A what now? On Wednesday, the same time Qantas announced the Boeing 747 retirements, it told investors to expect a full-year profit of between $1.55 billion uh, Australian dollars and $1.60 billion Australian dollars uh, for the current fiscal year, despite ma- facing a major increase in its fuel bill. Well, that's going to be bad now because they're getting rid of the, uh, the 74s. But having improved the airline's financial health and its stock price up 443% since mid-2012, Joyce is focused on using the newest planes to break some of the late, uh, last frontiers in aviation. No airline has ever regularly flown from Australia to London because no aircraft could do it, including the Boeing 747. Uh, but the 787, obviously another fantastic Boeing product, has changed that. Uh, it's not perfect for Qantas because it still doesn't have the range to fly from uh, Qantas's hub Sydney to Europe, but it can fly from Perth, which at least for now is close enough. The flight takes 17 hours, give or take uh, a minute or two, depending on the winds, and the 787 is about 20% more fuel efficient than the 747, and maintenance costs less, uh, according to Qantas. By the end of 2020, when uh, the just-announced Dreamliners will have all arrived, Qantas will have uh, 14, enough, the airline said, to add nest new destinations uh, in the Americas, Asia and South Africa and Europe. Over the years, each new version of the 747 allowed Qantas to fly further and improve what the, uh, was offered to passengers, Joyce said uh, in a statement. The Dreamliners are now doing the same thing. Qantas now has 10 Boeing 747s, and they fly to routes uh, through routes like Brisbane to Los Angeles uh, to New York. And eventually, Qantas would like to drop the Los Angeles stop, but that's not going to be possible with the Dreamliner. Qantas will need an even longer-range aircraft to fly non-stop from Sydney to the eastern United States, and it has challenged Boeing and Airbus to build a plane capable of flying 20 hours by the year 2022. We have a slightly disgruntled listener. Why is that? Uh, Poor Jonathan Warner was about to sit down to enjoy watching uh, today's show because he's got an opportunity to do so. And unfortunately, just as he fired up his uh, PC, I should stress he fired up his PCC. He's already sighing. Um, uh, This popped up on his screen while he was doing it. So he reckons he'll be joining us in about 45 minutes anyway. (laughs) That's optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Going back to the story there, is there actually a Just like a Boeing. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Uh, Is there actually a market for people who want to fly 20 hours? Well, we covered the story last week, didn't we? Mm. Because it was, um, uh, was it Singapore, Nev, last week? who were going to do that? Yeah, the the 20-hour flight. They kind of got that with the A359-900. Do you you not fancy 20 hours or 17 hours? Well, no, I do. Yeah, I know I do. Many of us do here, but... I am I, sure that I, I'm going to disagree with you heavily there. <laughs> no, I can't Matt, think of Matt Wood yeah. <laughs> in <laughs> business class. Yes, I could probably handle yeah. it in business class. As, as would yeah. Nev in first class, yes, obviously. Of course, mm. um, yes, yes. I think the big difference is that if you don't, then you've either got to kick around some uh, airport in between for 
uh, three or four hours while they uh, refuel yeah. the aircraft yeah. or perhaps move you onto a different aircraft, mm. change the crew over, etc. Or you spend a day or two there, which can be very nice if you're on holiday, but if you're trying to get from A to B quickly, and stuff, yeah. then mm. it's no use at mm. all. It's much no. better yeah, to true. suffer the 17 or 20 hours or whatever mm. and uh, get off and um, go straight to hospital with your DVTs. <laughs> 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 Always optimist. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Could it be because it's a Boeing product we're talking about? Perhaps that's no. where he's going with it. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on before we get to story two. The, yeah, the living daylight out. And, and rather unusually, this isn't a Ryanair story, which I'm continue a bit... reading, Matt. Oh, is it? Do you know? I thought for a bre- <laughs> brief moment that I had been spared, but apparently not. Continue so this is read. on the Telegraph website and the headline is uh, telegraph.co.uk sorry I must remember we must always name check the website uh, the, the one mistake to avoid this is on Telegraph uh, if your hand luggage gets relegated to the hold ah now I see uh, passengers have been warned to keep their, pass- uh, their, their passports with them on flights when their bags are put in the hold at the last minute or face lengthy delays at border control do you know I hadn't even given that a thought and a couple of times I've handed over my, my mm, bag because yeah, yeah. it's beat my, yeah. Passports in your hand luggage. Yeah. They are well, supposed no, to tell you when you hand over your bag to remove uh, any um, batteries that might explode. Okay. Uh, make sure that you've got any medication you take out of it and yeah. have your passport. So that you're given a reminder, it's what's supposed to be, yeah, as you uh, hand your bag over to take anything out of it that you will need during the flight or immediately after landing. Okay. Right, okay. Um, well, I, so I, which airline didn't tell you? Continue, uh, Matt. I, I can't tell you. Uh, the, uh, it's, uh, Ooh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were an aviation podcast. We are indeed. All right, EasyJet, if you must know. But anyway, ah. okay, so more and more <clears throat> travellers are having to ca- have having their carry-on bags taken off them at the gate as airlines struggled with limited space in overhead cabins before takeoff. But the change in routine is catching out passengers who find themselves uh, at passport control at their destination with no way of retrieving their documentation. One holidaymaker who asked to remain anonymous told the Telegraph Travel that he was detained at border control at London Stansted Airport and had to phone a friend to collect his bag from the carousel and return to the passport kiosk. He was on a Ryanair flight with a backpack which was taken off him at the departure gate. I had to wait behind the line at the desk until a friend brought me uh, my passport. I don't know what I would have done otherwise. He said, uh, airports should tell you to keep your passport with you when they take your bag. The introduction of Ryanair's new baggage policy in January, which requires anyone who does not pay for priority boarding to have their second larger hand luggage placed in the hold free of charge, means more and more travellers are falling prey. Social media is awash with flyers who recently, who sorry, who realised too late that they would not be reunited, reunited with their passport until after border control. Uh, I have to say, on, on the one occasion where where that did happen to me, I was actually reunited with my bag on the tarmac before I went inside. Which you should be, really, if you're uh, handing it over at the gate. But what's, yeah. what, are the, what are the rules, uh, Owen? Because obviously you deal with this kind of thing. Mm. On a daily basis, uh, it would depend on airport where you're coming from, where you're going to. Uh, so, if it was domestic flight, it is possible that you could get it back on the tarmac. If it's not a domestic flight, then it needs to uh, go into the baggage carousel. Um, so, yeah, like Nick was saying, you should be told um, mm. beforehand that any passports, laptops, medication, yeah. spare lithium ion batteries need to be removed. Yeah. Um, maybe people 
don't pay huge amounts of attention to this. Uh, I mean, there is, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, people I, I, I tend I, to be quite zoned out in airports. Yeah, or, uh, I think inebriated. I, was, I mean, as I say, in my case, it didn't matter because I was reunited with my bag at the time. T- but it, yeah. it did suddenly dawn on me. Thought, well, like, if 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 I had had to go and collect it from a carousel. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. But there are there are definitely. I mean, um, border control are very very uh, good at taking care of that sort of situation. And mm. um, I know in I, I saw it in Gatwick uh, that they have this little kind of seating area where there are people being held um, for further questioning or right. for okay. for <laughs> in, in, in case that something like this does actually happen. So, well, that was when I went into yes. Gatwick. I is, is, think is, is, they is have that one you, in Stansted. If you get, is that where you get the horrible noise of the snap of the gloves as they put you know? It's just like, <laughs> time for your inspection, sir. Yeah. No, 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 no. Comments in the chat room. Then uh, Mash has said that you shouldn't need to be told. It's common sense. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Ivey said, "Yes, that, it uh, is common sense, but I, I'm not. I, I'd be the first to admit that in that situation, I, you know, I might think, oh, I need my tablet or I need my pills for medication or whatever, but I can't promise that I would think, oh, yeah, I need my passport to get in the other way because you, you, once you've gone through security initially, that's like I, I've sort of forgotten that I've got a passport mm. until till I get the other end. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't promise that." Yeah, you know. unless you're a regular traveller, you wouldn't necessarily realise that immigration is before uh, the baggage hall. Yeah, you might assume you're going to get your baggage and then go to immigration. Mm. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Ivy just says he uh, he feels like not having your passport on your person is just asking for trouble. Yeah. No, I know. I yeah. know. I know. I know the theory. I'm just you know. I'm just trying. I'm just being honest that that I can't. I couldn't <laughs> promise that. And Lane Street has just said, well, it's been his experience that a large portion of the population lack common sense. Yeah, no, I there can't disagree with you there either. <laughs> Lane, always the, uh, yes, always the great comments in there. Indeed. But yeah, definitely passports, uh, any spare lithium batteries, laptops, valuables, um, medication, they all need to come out um, mm. before you put anything like that in the hold. And the same, I suppose, goes with uh, check luggage as well. You don't want anything like that in your, mm. your check luggage if it's going to be bounced around and yeah from a, a mm. an airline's point of view you don't want to have spare little mine and batteries in the no. in, no, no, in the whole loose no, so no. moving on to the next story then and uh, nev uh, special one for you as always yes this is on the australian business traveler website and it's by chris chamberlain who says that business class is a great way to travel but on a handful of flights every day it's the only way to fly quite literally because there are no first class suites on board or any seats further back in premium economy or economy welcome to the all business class flight a rarity in today's skies and among that amongst that handful uh, british airways flagship ba1 service from london to new york and both the flight number and the aircraft are special in a nod to the 1980s era of high flying this route adopts the same ba1 flight number as concord another all business class jet which darted between London and New York. Uh, these days, BA-1 is flown by an Airbus A318, the tiny single-aisle jet, but certainly no Concorde. The smallest member of the Airbus A320 family and some, sometimes called the baby bus, this jet is dedicated to BA's London to New York route and has just 32 business class seats across eight rows, making for an experience which BA likens to flying in a private jet. If you're thinking that an all-business-class flight would feature the very latest in luxury seating, BA1 will surprise you. The <laughs> seats are arranged in pairs at either side of the aisle, 
So there's no direct access to the aisle for the window passengers, although on the quiet Sunday morning when I flew there, there were just 18 passengers aboard, so most guests had a pair of seats to themselves. Uh, the seats lack many of the mod cons you'd take for granted, including personal video screens. Uh, the crew offer iPads preloaded with content, but most passengers seem to watch video on their own tablets or laptops. However, the seats do fold down into flatbeds. Something else that's unique ab about BA1 is that it runs from, run from London City Airport rather than Heathrow, and London City is close to the city's financial and business district, including the financial hub of Canary Wharf, which underscores BA1's corporate travel cred. Ironically, this business traveller-friendly airport doesn't have any lounges. Well, actually, it does now. But no. uh, <laughs> BA shouts all BA1 passengers a complimentary meal at the airport's pilot's bar and kitchen restaurant, although you can take care of your own breakfast and arrive at the airport to check in for flights to New York as late as 15 minutes before departure. Uh, when it's time to board, there's no announcement in the terminal, just a few spoken words at the gate, and as everybody's in business class, there's no priority boarding lane. All the passengers simply wander to the aircraft in no great hurry. That's one more wrinkle to come because London's uh, city airport's runway is very short. The A318 can't take off with the full load of fuel needed to fly all the way to New York. So BA's novel solution is a stopover route in the Irish town of Shannon. This might take the shine off notions that an all business class flight would zoom you directly from A to B, but British Airways makes it work by letting passengers clear US passport control and customs on the ground at Shannon whilst the A318 is fuelled for the seven-hour ah, yeah, flight ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you've no checked baggage, you can walk straight out of the terminal at New York's JFK airport and make your way into the city. And if you do have a bag, because there are so few passengers on this flight, every suitcase comes out within minutes or, and you're good to go. Compared to a non-stop flight, the Shannon detour does add around 90 minutes to the trip. But as a US visa holder who can't normally use the time-saving passport kiosks, having no queue at passport control compared to the normal 90-minute uh, wait for manual processing renders this a non-issue and makes mm. the flight a very attractive way to enter the US. Um, well, of course, well, a, a little, the Shannon Airport is a fairly small airport, is it not? Yeah. Um, now, the people I've heard of that have done this flight have said it's quite satisfactory and it all works quite well. Mm. But BA did used to do two rotations. They used to have a BA3 and a BA4 uh, mm. later in the day, but they've scrapped those. Um, oh. So actually, that, um, that Sunday flight where this chap took a, um, uh, the, uh, the A318 and there was only 18 people on board the plane, even mm. at a business class fare, uh, makes you wonder um, how the, uh, the load factor must work. Um, well, yeah, that's true. Maybe that it, herein lies the problem. Essentially, if if uh, you know they're they're not filling the flight, then. But I mean, I, as I say, because that that sounds like a very appealing idea. Actually, to me, is to uh, to literally do your passport control if you like in a in well, in so Shannon. You're and then at arriving least... as a domestic flight, if, if yeah. yeah. And that's why when we were going out to mm. New York, I went via. Um, Dublin. I went Heathrow to to mm. Dublin, and then uh, in Dublin, I, I passed through the U.S. border and yeah. uh, flew domestically into Newark. I think. I um, mean, we were, we were lucky when we when we went to this, myself, Charlotte, and Sarah when we flew in because we flew into Newark. We were just lucky on times. It wasn't a busy time of day to be to be going through passport control, and we were in and out fairly quickly. But I mean, some people were tell, telling us uh, on the flight that you know trips that they'd been on where they'd had nearly four hour delays sometimes trying to get through passport control. Well, I mean, I got in the second time in February um, into New York, and that was the only time that I've entered America without going through. <clears throat> 
um, pre-clearance in mm. either Dublin or Shannon and that took a good 90 minutes and that was at midnight wow mm. um, the only other snag about the BA2 which is the incoming flight back to London City because it can do it in one hit obviously because it's got the wind behind it as it were um, often that flight ends up at Gatwick because of the, the weather at London City um, oh, and, uh, uh, quite foggy very often or low visibility so they can't land it there so they end up back at Catwick very often as well okay. I was just trying to get a price for that flight while you were uh, having oh. a discussion there but um, struggling to find a price from London City to if you uh, can't find one it probably suggests that you can't afford it can't yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the case yeah. Yeah, I have to say that the advantage of doing uh, your customs clearance <clears throat> at Shannon is um, rather taken away when you realise it's not an exclusive BA thing at all you're quite right uh, Ian and Nev when you say that there are a number of airlines that mm. use that facility well, there you, are quite a few you were with uh, Air Lingus, American you? immigration officers based uh, in Ireland uh, to do that so it's far from being unique to BA uh, I hardly think that a, um, a dumpy little 319 that can't even get to uh, America in one hop is a suitable replacement for the BA1 call sign but far be it from me to uh, comment on BA's uh, ability to get a decent airplane to uh, hold their premier call sign um, but uh, I suppose the advantage is you you know it's such a slow flight that uh, you get a chance to get a decent amount of shut eye perhaps <laughs> on the way over I have a price oh do you yep okay, so Nev if you want to uh, travel uh, from London City on Monday uh, out to uh, to New York and back return um, on the BA Treble O One, on the A Three Eighteen, that will set you back three thousand seven hundred and eighty-seven pounds. Mm. Really, actually, um, well, that's actually hinting. not bad for a business class. Yeah, mm. to uh, from London to New York, quite obviously. Actually, t Tony asked a very good question there. Did, did they take on extra passengers at Shannon? No, uh, they don't. No, you've got to if you're going doing that route, uh, you're getting on at City and then doing your uh, customs check. So it's literally they're refueling the aircraft. They're they're taking, you know, yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, quite attractive for people who uh, lived and worked in the city because mm -hmm. it's, it's their local airport, for heaven's sake. It's right on their doorstep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they could basically walk out of work and climb an airplane. The next morning they'd be uh, in New York uh, ready to do whatever there. So I, yeah. I think the concept is good. The fact that they've dropped uh, one of their aircraft doing this is obviously perhaps an indication of it's how popular telling. it is now and mm. this is hardly new news this this route has been around for years so i know but I'm ba are like desperate sure for suddenly popped up it's <laughs> because uh, they're desperate for PR, PR, you see. Because what's happening is they're now listening to Nev's passenger experiences. And what they're finding <laughs> is that uh, they haven't got the uh, fabulous reputation they once thought they had. Yeah. So uh, this may be an attempt at PR. <laughs> well, it's I think that's your boss's fault, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> my, my boss's? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah Charlotte and Sarah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They single-handedly ruined BA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think I heard somewhere that um, the BA one, two, three, four call signs were um, are used because door to door or office to office, this flight is just as fast as Concord office to office. Uh, not really, no, no, because Concord was. Um, I know it's from Heathrow, but that was <laughs> about three hours, ten minutes. Right. Okay. 
on the westbound sector <clears throat> and under three hours. Uh, if there was a bad traffic jam, yeah. You... <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, that, that was just get on a helicopter and go to the top of the old Pan Am building in New York from uh, JFK as you used to in the old days. Now, that might have made it a bit quicker. Mm. Yeah, true. Uh, an update for all of those who, of you in the chat room who I know are terribly concerned about Jonathan Warner's absence. I'm delighted to say that in the last 10 minutes that we've been doing this, uh, he's gone from 21% to 24% in his oh, Windows update. So it's going really well for him. Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, Captain Nick. Uh, this one is for you. Oh, God, I've been dreading this. <laughs> <laughs> Only because this is an incredibly uh, complicated story to read, and it's in very small print. So oh. it's an incident concerning uh, a Vietnam A321 um, on the 29th of April. Um, it was uh, performing a flight from uh, Ho Chi Minh City to uh, Nha Trang in uh, Vietnam with uh, 203 passengers, seven crew, and performing an RNAV approach to runway 20 at uh, Nha Trang. An RNAV is uh, an approach which is guided by the aircraft's own navigation system rather than being guided by uh, beacons or uh, a system based on the ground. It was clear to land uh, at Nha Trang Civil Airport uh, on runway 20, which in the future will be called 20 right, but wasn't on that day, uh, but touched down on the runway under construction that will in the future be called 20 left. Oh, wow. So um, you, know, you have to try and imagine they've got a runway there that they normally use and a runway under construction, which at the time this poor bloke landed were both called runway 20. Ah. Anyway, the aircraft landed on the wrong one. It rolled out, and during the rollout, because there was lots of stuff on the runway uh, from the builders and various other things, it sucked in uh, a fair amount of foreign objects from the runway, which did it some damage. Um, Vietnam's CAA, Civil Aviation Authority, rated the occurrence as a serious incident, suspended the flight crew, and opened up an investigation. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald, by the way. And uh, they received uh, additional information contradicting earlier preliminary information uh, of landing on runway 02. So that's just in there to confuse. Based on uh, CAA Vietnam statement, the aircraft performed an RNAV to runway 20 and was cleared to land on 20. According to the captain's narrative, his story, um, the runway was marked 20. Well, that looks good because there should only ever be one runway marked 20 on an airport with uh, multiple runways. Um, and it had no crosses over it, which would uh, normally be put placed over a runway that was inactive or not to be landed on. Um, so uh, the crew did notice that no runway lights, including Pappies, were active. Uh, however, that is not unusual. I've landed at New York many a time when there have been very few lights on at all if any uh, so it's it's not unusual that's that's a relatively common thing even at airports as a fancy as jfk in inverted commas if you can see me doing my <laughs> air quotes um they only realized after touchdown that the runway was still under construction they quickly brought the aircraft to a full stop the charts in use did not depict the runway under construction uh, on uh, May the 2nd, 
the Aviation Herald received information that the new runway had been put into operation for a 300-meter portion to be used by military aircraft. It had been NOTAMed in uh, 2017 permanently, however. The NOTAM had not been forwarded to the crew. So although there was a notice to airmen out, the crew hadn't received it. In addition, the airline stated that the uh, VVCR airport charts, so that's just the bits of paper you have with pictures of the airport and the approaches, uh, depict unserviceable area for the construction zone of the new runway. So I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, but you can flick down to the airport map, which is uh, Vietnam Airlines uh, chart 10-9. You can see a nice uh, vertical view of the layout, and this is the charts where we always use taxi around, and we also review them for landing and takeoff, so we can get an idea of what approach lighting there is, etc. And you can see the main runway quite clearly marked, but the new runway is there only in a faint hash, indicating that it is under construction and uh, not available for use. So having flicked down there to look at that, I've now I've got to refind my spot. Um, so although runway two right, two left was partly put into operation, a supplement had been released by the uh, Vietnam CAA uh, which made it clear that the runway had not yet been renamed as necessary to become two left right and two zero left right. Now that's a huge confusion because uh, when you line up on a runway it should have for that airport a unique number on the end which corresponds to uh, rounded, rounded up to the nearest 10 degrees or down to the magnetic heading of uh, the runway. So. Runway 20 is approximately 200 degrees uh, on your compass. Um, and uh, if you've got two runways that are 20, then they have to be put 20L for left and 20R for right, too, so that there's no confusion about which runway you're going on. And if you've got three, then the middle one would be 20C, 20 center. Um, now, the CA has now released a new NOTAM, but it was after this incident to make pilots aware of the parallel runway that is in operation uh, for military use. Um, I'm looking for a sort of conclusion to this. They've got the NOTAMs there in the notes. Um, they've got the lineup. On the approach plates, only run one, one runway is indicated. Uh, and of course, a, an RNAV approach is a non-precision approach. So that approach did not take you right down to the end of the runway as an ILS, for example, would a precision approach. It takes you and dumps you basically at re relatively low, the minima for this approach, 610 feet. But that's uh, probably two miles down. And from that point, you make your own way to the end of the runway. So it's not like it's taking you right to the end of the runway. It dumps you uh, relatively high, relatively far out, and you find the end of the runway visually and then land on it. That's the way it works. So I can understand why this crew uh, didn't land on the right runway. Certainly, there's lots of mitigating circumstances. Mm. I'm not quite sure um, why they landed on a runway that was unlit when presumably... The, other the one correct runway was lit. Mm -hmm. And according to the airport chart, there are um, a decent set of approach lights. Uh, can't do they have pappies? 
I can't see. No, it just looks like approach lights. I can't see pappies. But, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly uh, perhaps an excusable error. I mean, Do you think this is the sort of thing which would be in an ATIS broadcast, Nick? Yeah, it was exactly the thing that should be in an ATIS. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have no idea whether it was or not. I, I think if it had been, the crew probably would have been more alert to it. There's yeah. no indication of whether it's in the ATIS. So basically a, a terrible breakdown in communication, I think, is probably the best way to to describe this incident. I mean, it's just, uh, it seems a bit harsh to be sort of suspending people left, right and centre when when it's not perhaps as clear as, as the airport is making well, it out. Well, it is usual in an incident like this to suspend the crew until uh, the findings are out right. and they're exonerated, uh, in which case they go back to work. Uh, and, uh, of course, if they're not exonerated, then, you know, but... In, when there's a doubt, you always take the safest course of action, mm. which is to stop the crew flying. Apart from that, you don't really want them flying with all this hanging over them while they're waiting for the results of an inquiry to come out, because their mind may well not be on the job as uh, you know, as much as it should be. Mm. Sue, so, moving on to the next story. And Owen, this one is a comfy uh, story for you. <laughs> so this is by fastcodesign.com um, and it says the miserable economy airline seat got a major redesign oh, no. <laughs> over the past few years airspace designers have introduced a slew of wildly uncomfortable looking economy seats mm -hmm. the latest of which is the new cattle class airplane saddle unveiled at hamburg's airplane interiors expo you'll be relieved to know that at least one company is trying to design a compact economy seat that is not a, a literal pain in the ass but it's not <laughs> as easy as it sounds but it could make air travel a little bit better for all of us. Uh, the picture that's on the screen is not the um, cattle class airplane saddle. This is the one that they have. Uh, this is the one that they're trying to, well, improve upon. Are you suddenly trying to say I've put up the wrong picture? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, just, I, <laughs> I'm clarifying. You're right. Okay, very good. Very diplomatic um, of you. Well done. Uh, <laughs> no, because the airplane saddle is not actually in the oh, story. It's right. not, a, well, a picture of it isn't anyway. The eco seat, which, has, uh, was, which was also presented in Hamburg, shares the mission of the airplane saddle to give uh, airlines a way to increase passenger density. But Pearson Lloyd, a London-based design studio focused on aviation, workplace, healthcare and urban environments, is aiming to maintain a fair balance between airlines and passengers. As I discovered speaking via email to co-founder and director Luke Pearson, finding that balance is a serious challenge. The studio's objective was to make passengers more comfortable and to make the cabin feel roomier while keeping the seat's weight as light and as strong as the industry demands. So here's how they did it. Pick two, light, strong or comfortable. Uh, the matter of weight is extremely important for airlines and the cost of fuel needed to carry a single pound can add up quickly. For instance, a single 4.5 pound laptop adds uh, $138 in fuel per year of flight in a single plane. If, say, an average of 50 passengers bring their own laptop on Delta's fleet of 724 airplanes every day, it would cost the airline al almost $5 million per year. The EcoSeat is designed around a thin carbon fibre composite shell and a central spine that provides the structural support and contains all the seat's functional, uh, functional parts like the audiovisual module and the tray. 
Unlike the boxy, flat profile of the traditional seat, the seat uses this thin, curving spine to greatly reduce the volume and material of the seat, which the studio says adds an extra inch of space on either side. The contoured spine fo follows an ergonomic uh, curve all the way up to the headrest, which the company claims allows for a more comfortable posture in the upright position. Our back is, the most co is more contoured than most, which places the head more naturally above the body to stop it falling forward, uh, Pearson says. Um, and basically, it goes on to explain a little bit about the seat, but it's um, unlike the, the seat, which normally is kind of uh, enclosed in a, in a shell, um, this one just has a, a central column, uh, and then the seat is kind of placed on top of that a central column um, in order to, well, in order to save space, really. Uh, and they've got tray tables and all the audio, uh, the I mean, the knockout systems. The knockout that we were looking at in those pictures actually didn't look. Um, the, the actual bottom pad itself didn't look that dissimilar to what we're used to now. But the bit yeah. at the back there was basically just it looked like a piece of hardboard with a few, you know, <laughs> pads sort of staple gunned to it, which it may does be maybe maybe look a little bit more flimsy. But it is carbon fiber, so mm. you know, yeah, true. I still have to say one of the one of the most comfiest economy seats I've I've ever sat in was definitely with uh, with Emirates. Um, really? Yeah, they were. I thought they were really, you know, for an economy seat, were, were really comfortable. Yeah. I think the one that the comfiest one that I've ever had was uh, Lufthansa's A three forties. Yeah, they they had uh, quite a new cabin in those and really really comfortable seats. Um, not too unlike these, really really slim, and uh, yeah. Nev, have you, have, do you have a, a sort of? Uh, I know you try to avoid flying in economy, where. <laughs> Ever is possible, of course, but I mean, is there any particular airline that jumps out at you as actually not a bad experience in economy? Actually, SAS used to have a very nice economy seat. I used to fly them a lot into Scandinavia, Copenhagen and Stockholm, um, but I've not flown them for some time. Mm. I think the BA economy seat leaves a lot to be desired. It's not not great, either short haul or, or long mm. haul. Um, but uh, Lufthansa, when I have flown economy on, on their services, they've had actually quite a nice, uh, mm. uh, quite a nice sort of lumbar support and, and mm. general comfiness. I, but, I know um, this. I know this yeah. is going to be a swear, swear word as far as many people are concerned. But uh, actually, it, the redesigned cabin on the A320 that um, uh, EasyJet yeah. use, I have to confess. Uh, I, I've never felt. I, I, I dare say, if you've got the tape measure out, the legroom isn't any different to to any other like aircraft or, or rival company. But yeah. I have to say, I, I mean, it was one of the few aircraft. Whether it's just because of the way the seat is designed slightly differently, but I could actually literally put my legs underneath the seat in mm -hmm. front of me and stretch out, which I've never ever been able to do in 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 any other aeroplane. And I was quite lucky because both legs of the journey were both on this this recently refurbished um, A320. So, of course, there is a certain person who's uh, guest hosting with us this evening who's got the best seat in the house, really. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Well, it, it is on the Airbus. Of course, I hear nothing but complaints from the uh, binliner pilots about <laughs> how uncomfortable. I'm being genuine here about oh, really? how uncomfortable <laughs> their seats yeah. are. But yeah, the uh, the Airbus seats are okay. Uh, considering the number of hours uh, we sit in, and bear in mind, uh, you know, those seats, uh, they have someone uh, out of the seat, not sitting in it, for about an hour a day, I guess, because uh, the moment we climb out, the engineers climb in, and they're working on the aircraft, 
uh, I'm often arriving at the aircraft, take whatever the engineers are still in our seats. They'll eventually finish what they're doing, climb out, we'll climb straight in again. Uh, so the uh, cushions really very rarely mm. have a chance to uh, fluff cool. up again, as it were. You know? <laughs> cool is another um, word I was yeah, going to go with. Exactly. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're heavily compressed. Uh, so it's surprising how uh, comfortable they are. But I, I, the problem I have with these seats, um, and that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a reasonably sized bloke, uh, is that one size does not fit all uh, no. if mm. you're in a seat. And a big bloke like me needs a lumbar support that is uh, suitably positioned. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, it's, you know, in totally the wrong spot. Basically, um, the lumbar support is down near my backside, and the hollow where your back is is where my lumbar is. So I get yeah. contorted and I get dreadful back pain mm. sitting in a seat that is designed for too short a person. Uh, unless the headrest uh, is movable easily, uh, then mm. again, you end up with the headrest around the back of your neck rather than up around your head is. And of course, uh, on a sheet like this, without any give in the cushions, because they're so thin, uh, you do raise the possibility of deep vein thrombosis, because if you get a pressure point on your legs in particular, where part of the cushion uh, cuts in, part of the seat cuts in, and uh, interrupts the blood flow in your veins, uh, it, and, and you're on a really cramped airplane, and there's not a lot of uh, chance to get up and stretch out, and get the blood moving again, you are in danger of doing yourself some damage. Hmm, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That's the perfect excuse to fly business all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> going to die if you don't. Is right, okay. I mean, <laughs> that's very it's worth a 10 grand bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'll run that by Jammer later. And yeah, see good luck with that, sir. Yeah, good luck with that. It's been lovely knowing you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So the next story uh, is on the NST website and uh, this one is uh, well this is, seems to be happening all very often though but the headline is man opens emergency exit door on oh, Chinese dear. airliner to get some fresh air so mm -hmm. uh, in Hong Kong this was a Chinese man has been detained after he opened the emergency exit on a plane while he was waiting to disembark because he felt stuffy according to uh, to this story here uh, the man identified only by his surname as Chen was waiting to leave the flight at Manyang Airport in the southwestern province of Sichuan when he decided he could do with some fresh air. Uh, unfortunately for him, the handle he pulled was attached to the emergency exit, and not only did the hatch come free from the plane, but it also activated the emergency escape slide. Chen, 25, who was returning from the island of Hainan, uh, insisted he did not know that there was that it was an escape route, adding that because yeah, it was so stuffy and so hot on the aircraft, I just pushed down on the window handle beside me, and when the door fell out, I panicked. The crew alerted police and he was detained for 15 days uh, for the unauthorized removal of aviation facilities. He will also be fined 70,000 yuan. Is that right? Yuan? Yuan? Uh, yeah, or 11,000 uh, US dollars to cover the airline's costs. The airline, which has not been named in report, said it would cooperate uh, with the public security agencies in their investigation. Uh, they said that. Uh, before each flight, uh, take, uh, flight attendants inform passengers about safety precautions. The airline stated, 
Now, they also added that, in particular, passengers were made aware of emergency exits and said it needed considerable force to open them. This is the latest in a string of safety incidents in recent years involving mainland Chinese travellers opening emergency exits. In April 2016, a 30-year-old bulldozer driver who had never been uh, never travelled by air before ignored warnings by cabin crew and opened the emergency exit door to get some fresh air just before his flight took off from Shenzhen Airport uh, in the south of the country. Uh, the man who said he uh, was worried about getting airsick was detained for a week and fined 500 yuan after the flight was uh, delayed for an hour. The previous year, a man who, cla- a man who claimed uh, he thought the emergency escape handle was a handrail was given 10 days detention and a second passenger was also given a similar sentence for opening an escape hatch while waiting to board a flight at Nanjing Airport. China's civil aviation industry has responded by imposing a slew of penalties including flying bans in addition to existing fines on blacklisted travellers. Um, <laughs> that's a picture there, actually, Matt. I don't know whether you put that on the screen while I was recording. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I probably delayed that flight, I would imagine, quite quite uh, a lot. I they were saying the other one was only delayed for an hour. Oh, that is pretty impressive. <laughs> Fair play to whoever was coordinating that flight. <laughs> I mean, presumably you can't uh, just simply fold it up and put it back in the aircraft. No, oh, no, that's, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That'll be ground the aircraft for the day. What do you think of this, Nev? Well, another great example of aviation journalism oh, at no. its best. <laughs> it has to mention the fact that the gentleman is a 30-year-old bulldozer driver. <laughs> right, well, obviously, which is very relevant. To yeah, the story. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, absolutely. You know, I reckon he was uh, just wanted to pop out and throw some coins into the engine. Oh, thing. yeah, we had that. Remember that story? <laughs> and this isn't too unlike the um, the oh. one with the the passenger in Malaga earlier on in or late last last year. In September, October oh, of last yeah, year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the one that got out on the wing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, because he yeah. had asthma or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it does say that they, that the emergency exits need considerable force to open them. I don't think that they do. Um, from the ones that we're using in training, they they're definitely pretty spring loaded, and and pulling them even a little bit will uh, will mm. activate them. Um, that's not to say they activate in flight because those particular <laughs> Those particular ones are are uh, are are locked during flight, um, and it's only on the ground that they are. Perhaps they the, are uh, open. The, perhaps the captain and uh, the crew are being a bit stingy with the air conditioning on this particular uh, flight. A bit stingy. <laughs> 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 yeah, sorry, we're fresh out of air. A bit hot there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a better way to cool down than uh, opening mm. the uh, the emergency exit door. Nick, any any thoughts before we move on? Uh well, no, not really. Uh, no. <laughs> Not something that Nick's going to do, I don't think. No, okay. Well, no, it, it happens well behind where I'm sitting, so there's not a lot I can do about it. All I can do is say, well, how long it'll will it take to fix? And <laughs> well, well, have we got true. a spare aeroplane? That that is true. Yeah, can I have a spare aeroplane, please? Yeah. So next up, Ben. Okay. Uh, next story is yours, Matt. Yes, okay. Uh, I notice in the show notes here that I'm supposed to be playing out know, pictures and videos. I know, so, I know. Uh, I can't do uh, both. So we'll read the story out and see how we get on. So anyway, there's a start... Right, okay. Maybe someone else should read this, seeing as it is a stunning time-lapse footage. Go on, that go on, shows a <laughs> It's a BA one, so Nev better read this one. Yes, I'm sure. It's on the dailymail.co.uk website, Oh, brilliant. Of course, uh, <laughs> one of our favourites. And uh, it says that this amazing time-lapse video reduces an 11-hour flight from London Heathrow to San Francisco just 
four minutes. Hang on a minute. I've got a picture of three dogs driving baker's vans. (laughs) Ah, yes. That was obviously the um, the, the alternative version. Um, I'm um, I'm a bit scared. (laughs) It was filmed from the cockpit of a British Airways A380, the world's biggest passenger plane. The clip begins from Heathrow's runway 27 left and gives viewers a pilot's eye view as the enormous aircraft soars over Iceland, Greenland, and then approaches the California coast. Viewers are then treated to a view of the Golden Gate Bridge before the aircraft touches down in San Francisco. And this is uh, this video has been posted to Twitter by the captain in charge of the flight, Dave Walsworth. And uh, Dave's a senior captain at uh, British Airways on the A380 and a very decent fella he is as well on, on social media, always sharing stuff. And he's a great uh, ambassador of the airline, I think. Mm. Uh, but, uh, is he, he got... the one with the MBE? Um, I don't know. Okay, because there's, um, there's one, I, I know I follow one uh, BA skipper who insists on putting MBE. Oh, that's Scott, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> think, yes. Um, but anyway, anyway uh, I was just about to say if uh, if you'd been on uh, EasyJet and done this, you'd have got fired. Well, that's yeah. true. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Yeah, yes, I, I think that to have a lot of um, uh, chats with uh, BA's uh, corporate PR team before he does all this sort of I, stuff. I, yeah. I think, in, in in their defence, to be fair, if you could see in the top right hand corner of the video that we're playing out at the moment, if you are watching on the YouTube feed, uh, there is actually a GoPro GoPro essentially that's been sort of sucker mounted to the windscreen. So um, I, he's not interfering with it. If you see what I mean, once he's taken off, to be fair. So mm. I think that's. I, I just want to make that very clear. It's very different to the Snapchat. <laughs> Yes. Also, that, uh, Dave's yeah. done some nice stuff of some approaches into Johannesburg as mm. well. Nice that on, on his Twitter feed the other yeah. day. So, uh, yes, nice to see some high-quality stuff there from, uh, it from is. the BA skipper. Yeah, yeah definitely. Indeed. I think Dave also used to fly those uh, BA uh, 1, 2, 3, 4. He I think did. he was uh, an yeah. A318 uh, yeah. captain. Was he? Those ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to keep watching this because otherwise we're otherwise it'll all fall silent. And we'll just sit here watching this. Video. It is kind of mem- mesmerising. It, it is a bit yeah, mesmerising. It's really isn't amazing. It? It's really yeah. good yeah. to yeah. see. It is good. Anyway, there we are. There's Nick. There there's a treat for everyone. There's, there's your back. there's your uh, <laughs> your thing for for your next flight, Nick. You've got to try something like that. Oh dear. <laughs> well, I think you'll find that link I passed earlier was something uh, similar. Far <gasps> be oh. it from me to admit the fact that I have taken uh, a time lapse. Uh, on an aircraft. I think it might have been one that I found somewhere. Right, okay, good. Uh, that's what I like to hear. Uh, <laughs> so, Nev, carry on. Um, is it my story next? Please? Oh, no, no, so, uh, Yeah, you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, Carl, no, I think you'll find it's, is it mine, this yeah, one? Oh, yeah, go yeah, on. Go on, go on, on then. Yeah, go on, then, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Airbus uh, Aerial using drones for airport mapping. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a company called Airbus Aerial. Uh, they are a commercial aerial service business, and they've been launched by Airbus uh, last year. And they recently conducted runway mapping and inspections of Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, which those of us on the APG know well, since two of our uh, presenters uh, work there regularly. Mm. Um, aerial fuses satellite. And drone. That's a bit unfair if you keep fusing satellites. They're very hard to fix. <laughs> um, I think that's what they really, really mean to say is that Ariel uh, combines satellite and drone data into custom tailored client specific packages. 
God. <laughs> I mean, this is... Uh, um, speak English, man. Um, with easy-to-use interpretation tools. Uh, airport officials requested Ariel. Uh, presumably there's a two or something there. Oh, no, no, you probably get away with that. Airport officials requested Ariel conduct mapping of its south runway to help it assess the benefits of using this service to conduct critical runway inspections. This is interesting. Um, one of the big delays, so it's always a pain when you are queuing for takeoff uh, at a lot of airports, is when they go out with their um, leader vehicles, the yellow uh, you know, four by fours that most airports have, and they do a runway inspection um, because uh, they usually it takes about five or ten minutes, uh, and the vehicle has to sort of drive the length of the runway and uh, make sure that there's nothing on the runway um, that could damage an aircraft taking off or landing, a la the last Concorde that. Mm. Uh, uh, Air France Concorde that flew uh, and um, burst its uh, fuel tank, caught fire, and had tragic results uh, after it. That was because of a bit of debris that was left on a runway. So uh, the aerial team uh, used an autonomous FlySense EB Plus drone with uh, RTK GPS capabilities to capture aerial images of the runway with an accuracy of less than five centimeters. It's fully automated and can map an entire runway in one flight with a single operator. Uh, Airbus Aerial used drone images to develop a comprehensive airport assessment report, including 3D mapping, contour layers, and traditional high-resolution imagery within uh, Aerial's cloud-based geospatial. Geospatial. Spatial, yes, that's uh, it. Took me three goes. Geo, thank you. Geospatial <laughs> platform. The company plans to offer the service to other airports. Currently has clients in uh, utilities, road construction, blah blah. Um, this is interesting. You're obviously not going to still have to close the uh, runway uh, because it's a, a drone, and drones don't always do what you want them to do. You, they actually have to close the airport while you're conducting one of these surveys because if it drifts off from the runway that it's going up and down it could True. drift into the path of an aircraft on an adjacent runway which a Land Rover probably wouldn't do so no, I'm not yeah. quite sure <laughs> of the advantage of this uh, <laughs> perhaps for specific uh, mapping looking for damage but if it's just a regular runway inspection is I'm it faster sure. I mean is it is it over faster? Well, is that you, you've still got to examine the data, so you presumably have to download and examine the data. If it could whip across there and get decent resolution images very quickly, mm. yeah, but it's probably only going to be twice the speed of uh, the, the, the Land Rover does. They usually go down there at about 30, 40 miles an hour. Mm. This will, won't, I would have thought, wouldn't go much more than about. 80 miles an hour so you're not going to save a huge amount of time I wouldn't have thought and what's more if it does spot something uh, you've got to see the data examine it realize that it's uh, there's a problem mm. uh, you then got to go out there and actually get it and in the meantime you're going to stop all operations once you realize there's something on there whereas a vehicle that does it if he spots something he just screeches to a halt picks it up picks throws it up the back and it. carries on yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It, it's de definitely it's not like a conventional drone, though, is this? If you, if you uh, no, it looks like a head. model aircraft, really. Yeah, I mean, mm. they they're calling these all drones, but that looks like a remote con a radio controlled airplane. Mm. Right? Yeah, it does. So moving on to the next story, and who's taking this one? 
Um, I'm not. Uh, the Runway Girl Network, is it? Yes. It yeah, is. I'll, I'll, I'll have a go at that then. Go Here on it. Go, then. Okay, so this is uh, about to be a car crash, probably. Uh, this is on the Runway well, Girl Network. Well, if it network. is, we'll restrain you. Yeah, right, thank you very much. The Runway Girl <laughs> Network. And the headline is New Restraint System Addresses Airline Passenger Violence. Mm, useful. Uh, a workplace conflict consul- consultancy in Britain has developed a passenger restraint system which would be easier for crew to use while reducing the risk of injury to passengers. The International Air Travel Association, the IATA, reported last December that while incidents of unruly passenger behaviour are fewer than in previous years, the number of violent incidents have risen. So, Total Resolve, uh, a crisis training and de-escalation consultancy founded by former police officers, designed the new restraint to address the needs of British Airways following input from the airline about the complexities of using previous restraints. Runway Girl Network spoke to Tony Morgan and Richard Strickland, uh, who are the founders of Total Resolve, to hear their views on the rise and risks of managing violent passenger behaviour. The causes are many, they tell us, from excessive alcohol or drug consumption to mental health issues and issues of air rage. Morgan explains that there are no easy answers. This is a will to deal with the, sorry there is a will to will to deal with this but there is also pressure morgan said he he mentions resistance to limited uh, to limiting the size of the sale of alcohol uh, politics surrounding the application of existing laws and the drafting of new ones and the airlines push to fill seats on aircraft i don't think anyone has come up with a really good solution airlines take different approaches to unruly passengers from hands off policies which rely on diverting flights to airlines which issue tasers to crew <laughs> to handle security on board. Either of these extremes introduces risk, Morgan and Strickland have said. Uh, the issue we have with relying on diversions is that it will take at least 30 minutes with a violent passenger on board to deal with, and they are unrestrained, said Strickland. So uh, British Airways will first launch the new Total Resolve quick restraint system on long-haul flights when diverting a flight to deal with a passenger incident uh, is not an option so it looks like basic you know those those ratchet straps that you have in the back of your van <laughs> yeah. essentially it looks like that's what you do so you should have put it behind the seat and sort of ratchet them to to the seat so it's, Morgan, it's got a bag of bag of um, stuff there there's the picture yeah. on there shows but the, some of the pictures on there which um mm. show the the chat being restrained in the chair is is, is there's a lot of velcro going on yeah there. there is absolutely it's uh this is this is a uh, a bit of a funny sort of funny one where you see i mean it's got it's got leg restraints and all sorts going on here isn't it i mean it's uh it's uh h- everything from handcuffs to straps around each arm and and all that it's, i mean presumably you don't run the risk of damaging the seat by doing something like this i mean You'd have to be. I pretty don't think that's really an issue if you're talking about um, if you're talking about a, a disruptive passenger um, or a, a physically aggressive passenger. Mm. You're not really worried about about breaking a seat. No, true. Um, that's yeah. kind of the last of your worries, especially if you're up in the air. Um, you don't want to be. You don't want to be dealing with that in the air. No. So no. So Morgan and Strickland also point out that the crew and passengers who volunteer to help open themselves up to potential liabilities, especially with more extreme measures like having to use duct tape to bind passengers to their <laughs> seats, tasering passengers, or having larger <laughs> passengers intervene to defend the crew. We have found that sometimes the best intention, with the best intentions in the world, they introduce issues where if the individual who is being restrained dies or is injured, then there are many many problems to look forward to. 
The, the quick strap system is designed to reduce potential injuries. Our device wouldn't go around the chest. It only goes around the arms. Uh, it doesn't form uh, a tourniquet, he also pointed out. So in some cases, crew may use separate ankle restraints uh, developed by Total Resolve, which can be fastened to seats to keep passengers from kicking or getting up. Uh, Morgan and Strickland... Uh, believe fixed handcuffs of the type used by police in Britain can be effective as a first resort to manage violent passengers. They say plastic zip ties are more likely to cause injury and are not and are too difficult to put on in the basically effectively and quickly. They have also designed soft handcuffs. Surely they're more for um, you know evening uh, wear, but anyway, uh, made of similar. Let's play, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I'm just looking at the chat room. All oh, right, made of similar webbing mm. that is used on seats, which can be put on quickly, <laughs> which will not injure the wrists or cut off blood flow. I'm going to stop reading the story now. Uh, uh, Tony S has asked in the chat room actually um, the pictures, obviously that well that story, the guy in the chair. Uh, ask whether that's Captain Al. Oh, oh it might well be. <laughs> uh, it, it I hadn't given be. that some thought. I mean, it's a, a little more thick set than uh, than um, Captain Al, I think. To be fair, but uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, they, they've got they've got several sort of options here. It's the same thing, isn't it? Where they're restoring. See, I disagree with them. They're saying a bit of uh, a bit of a sort of like a tourniquet effect around the arms because actually they are going around the arms there. I yeah, mean, but they're not they're not going the full way around the arms. No, there. true. No, they've got okay. o- they're open at the back. So. And that, that, the, the the thing around his wrist there looks like something I used to wear when I rode my bike as a yeah, kid. Yeah. yeah, one of those reflective strip things. But uh, yes, I'm sure they're very effective. And yeah. uh, I mean, obviously the answer is that people don't need to be morons when they're in the aeroplane and then none of this is, is required. But uh, Very true. There I we don't are. know. I, I haven't seen it happen um, too frequently. I'm, I've been lucky, I suppose, in, in a way that the, I haven't had... Mm. Uh, you don't fly a jet too then? No. The secret's out, everyone. Oh. He doesn't fly for Jet 2. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Although I think, I think to be fair, from the conversations that we've had when we've been, you know, off air when we've been talking about these issues, uh, I think it's safe to say that you're perhaps a little bit more, um, p- perhaps you're sort of much faster at nipping these problems in the bud earlier than perhaps some of your colleagues maybe is or, or some out- well it depends on what the situation is if the situation is something to do with um a service issue or a, yeah. an issue with the cabin crew then yeah it, it, that's that's Just jumping on to, it straight away to yeah. how the the cabin crew are going to uh, deal with that but if it's an, an issue with another passenger that's slightly more difficult to mm. uh spot or mm. um resolve <laughs> as quick You've just read, I, I'm reading you the just chat read Lane's really comment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's, I know. That's outrageous. What, um, a, anyway. what a suggestion, Nev. I, I thought we had nice listeners. I don't know what happened. Well, <laughs> indeed. So the next story is. Uh, I'll, show, I'll, I'll take this one. Is uh, on the Evening Standard. And uh, headline, Evening Standard. Evening Standard is uh, Wizz Air UK. This budget airline just Never became Brexit proof. Oh, oh no, you said the word, can't dun, dun, dun. Oh, Everyone dear. switch off now. Anyway, yeah. one of the uh, subsidiaries of Europe's fastest growing airline has today been, or this week, been given permission to operate out of UK airports. Mm. Wizz Air UK, a subsidiary of the larger Wizz Air Holdings, has been granted an air operator certificate. Every time you mention the word and Brexit, I'm going to play this license music, right. <laughs> by the UK's Civil Aviation Authority. This will ensure the airline 
can continue to operate in the UK after Brexit. The new branch will begin operations uh, May the 3rd this week uh, out of their headquarters at London Luton's airport. With the first flight between Luton and Bucharest, Romania. Uh, By the end of 2018, Wizz Air UK expects to have eight new Airbus A320s and Airbus A321 aircraft and will have created 300 new jobs. Uh, It will fly to destinations such as Larnaca, uh, Tirana, Tallinn, Bratislava, Liv, I think that's how you pronounce that one, Lviv, Lviv, (laughs) Athens, Keflavik and Bari with fares starting as low as 13.99. Joseph Vidari, a chief executive officer at Wizz Air, said in a statement that uh, this week marks the start of a new era in air travel in the United Kingdom as we celebrate Wizz Air UK's first flight uh, following the approval of its UK operating mm-hmm. license. While Wizz Air UK is a key part of our Brexit contingency plan, it is also the first genuine ultra-low-cost carrier licensed in the UK and the natural next step in development of our UK business. That's good mm. news anyway. At least we shan't lose whiz air when all things just go apart when the Brexit but thing happens. Stop, stop oh, saying no. that word. Uh, I think we're going to move on rapidly now. Um, <laughs> really? And oh, uh, okay. Captain Nick, I wonder if I could trouble you to take the next story on the BBC's website. Uh, yes, of course. About Heathrow Airport. Uh, rival expansion scheme revealed. So a company with a rival plan to expand Heathrow Airport has unveiled its proposals. Um, Aurora Group I thought that was the name of a hotel uh, <laughs> says its plan for a new terminal and runway would cost 14.4 billion pounds sterling which is in inverted commas roughly the same as the scheme proposed by Heathrow Airport Holdings um, Airlines including the owner of British Airways that's uh, AOG isn't it no spares available. Um, say companies other than Heathrow's air owner should be allowed to design and build any new terminals. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heathrow Airport Holdings say Aurora's plans were not serious. They show a complete lack of understanding of airport operations and disregard for those living closest to the airport, said John Holland Kay, Heathrow Chief Executive. If these were serious plans, they should have been submitted for public scrutiny to the Independent Airports Commission years ago, along with 50 other competitive proposals. The government is due to publish the final proposal for a third runway Heathrow later this year, and MPs will then vote on the plans. It should have happened 20 years ago, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Aurora is run by Sorinda Aurora, who owns several hotels and other properties near the hotel. You see, I said that, didn't I? <laughs> the terminal design is part of Mr. Aurora's wider push to build an expanded airport. Last year, he also revealed plans for a third runway that he claimed would be cheaper than Heathrow's proposed scheme. Aurora's Western Hub plans uh, focus on a single area on the western side of Heathrow between Terminals 5 and the M25, which Aurora say would be cheaper and less disruptive than redevelopment around Terminals 2 and 3. 
Heathrow Airport has estimated that its development plan will cost 14 billion and that's uh, 0.4 billion less than Aurora's but you know these numbers do tend to change once <laughs> the, pro the uh, projects get in uh, underway. Aurora disputes that figure and says that Heathrow has not been transparent about how it came to that total. Airlines want to keep the cost of expanding Heathrow to a minimum as the expense will be borne by both passengers and carriers. Heathrow's owners said this week it would allow companies to bid to partner with it in on some aspects of the expansion scheme. Mr. Aurora welcomed that decision but said it did not go far enough. I won't do his voice again. Um, I'm not very good at imitating him. <laughs> Heathrow has been in monopoly control for too long and our proposal shows uh, what can be achieved through an alternative approach and Heathrow, a full, and Heathrow fully welcoming competition, he said. Sir Ron Eddington, former BA chief executive and member of Aurora's Heathrow Expansion Advisory Board, uh, I was going to say jobs for the boys, but that may not be appropriate. <laughs> Heathrow uh, said Heathrow used to be the premium global aviation hub but has suffered under the current monopoly. Aurora is best placed to deliver true competition and return Heathrow to its place as the top-tier international airport. A spokesman for IAG, which owns Aer Lingus and Iberia, as well as BA, said Aurora's proposal deserved to be properly evaluated. Competition at Heathrow is critical to keep costs low, and we call on the government to break up the airports but often allow third parties to run terminals. Uh, Craig Krieger, Chief Executive of Virgin Atlantic said Aurora's plan appears to be a credible alternative that will bring down the cost of construction and inject competition at the UK's hub airport. Aurora's plans have been created by Corgan, an architectural firm that has designed terminals for other major airports worldwide. Interesting. I must say the picture that they've got on the story here, the CGI impression of Aurora's plans. It looks nice. Mm. It does look nice. Yeah, it looks nicer than their hotels. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But do you think it, uh, we could definitely benefit then, uh, Nick, from uh, an expansion at Heathrow? I see any late player coming in on the game now as delaying the overall uh, time it will take to put whatever happens in place. Mm. And for the saving of 0.4 of a billion, when you're talking between 14 and 14.4, does not seem to be a huge amount, considering we've been waiting for this third run, we, and we've really needed it for so long. We, we're desperate to have it. Uh, and um, the airport can't really um, progress without it. I mean, we're absolutely chock up uh, at Heathrow, uh, bulging at the seams. It desperately uh, needs a, a, a small part of me wonders actually, like with 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 a, an expansion plan like this, where he's saying, you know, we might be able to save you point four of a billion. And what's the betting that it will still go massively over budget <laughs> anyway? Because that seems to be the thing with all building projects in the UK, especially. It's like basically uh, everything always always goes massively over budget uh, what, Nev any sort of thoughts really in, re in regard to, to this I, I assuming you're, you're thinking along the same lines as Nick yes we have a little saying in the <coughs> industry that I work in uh, a little acronym which is JFDI and uh, I shan't tell you exactly what that means but it, it means you really should get on with it and the thing right. is <laughs> We've been waiting for this. Actually, I think it's this is the 18th year now. Oh my goodness! Uh, that we've been waiting for it, and of course, uh, no decision has been made, and there's lots of stuff going on. But as Nick says, 
it's been bulging at the seams now for, for many years mm. and actually ATC have done the best they can to yeah. offer the best possible flow rates into Heathrow during during the peak hours yeah. and they're coming up with all sorts of uh, innovative ideas mm. to do it but at the end of the day you know you have two runways and that's it mm. um, so they can only do what they can do with, with the aircraft and the other thing is as well with the aircraft getting bigger uh, the, the big stuff the A380s and still running the 747s obviously all the heavy metal needs mm. more uh, spacing behind it so there's lots of weight turbulence considerations and that yeah. affects flow rate and then there's some weather lobbed into that as well and uh, yeah it's it's very very difficult to, yeah. to keep things on schedule I, actually I'm amazed that they do as well as they do uh, I mean our, 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 our visit to, to Nats actually really sort of highlighted the incredible sort of you know, I mean, they're they're forever looking at better ways of trying, or uh, you know, w ways of increasing capacity in the same airspace. If you see what I mean, and it's yeah. taking into account, you know, sort of like the the, the wave flows and all that. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a really amazing thing, you know. And hats off to everyone at Nats and and ATC very, and everything. Yeah. Just you know, trying to work out, you know, how to how to make this this work. As you say, I mean, they're desperate for for another runway, aren't they? Yes. And um, I think the thing is, um, it, it only works today when the weather's nice. The moment True. you get yeah. low visibility procedures going on, and that just messes up the, the flow rate and the holding and all the rest of it, mm. and just has this massive, um, you know, Impact. ongoing effect, yeah. like like a pack of cards, really. No, that's true. So moving on to the last. Uh, story or, or kind of story nev what what's this uh, particular this is on the inews.co.uk and uh it's a bit of a top 10 actually and oh, it says oh, that oh, these are the best and worst value airlines for flying short haul in 2018 easyjet has been named the best value airline for short haul flights oh, wow. leaving no frills rival ryanair <laughs> and its other competitors including british airways klm and air france trailing in its wake See what they did there? That's very, uh, it's very good, yes. <laughs> whilst Ryanair was found to offer customers the cheapest ticket prices on average, when baggage charges, seat reservations and onboard catering were taken into account, the low-cost carrier was knocked out of the top 10 best value airlines entirely. Uh, analysis by a travel fare aggregator shows. And uh, Skyscanner ranked the 20 most popular airlines that fly short-haul from the UK across four key categories. Baggage charges, the price of a seat reservation, the cost of onboard catering and the average economy ticket price. EasyJet was named uh, the best value airline overall for short-haul travel, with Germany's low-cost Eurowings taking second place. But several of the best value airlines were not low-cost. The Dutch and Swiss national carriers, KLM and Swiss, took joint third place. Uh, Germany's airline uh, Lufthansa came sixth, and British Airways uh, shared the eighth spot with Air France and Flybe. Uh, completing the top ten were the Spanish low-cost airline Vueling, in fifth place and Britain's Jet 2 coming in seventh. Mm -hmm. So the uh, this is the, 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 the top ten best value airlines overall for yeah. flying short haul. So we'll we'll just do it for fun here. We'll start, oh, shall we start at number right, ten. In at number 10. No, you, got, you have you to do it right, Carlos. <laughs> have you never, ever listened to Pick of the Pop? So who's at number 10, Nev? <laughs> uh, it's uh, Chewy Airways. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, in at number 9. 
someone. This is your wings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at number eight. Blue air. Who, who the hell are blue air? <laughs> it's it's you know you know the late night video collection. No, uh, oh, sorry, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> at number seven. It's uh, air fungus. Lingus. Air lingus. <laughs> okay, there. Here comes the incoming suing. Uh, at number six, please, Nev. <laughs> it's Norwegian, or as uh, Carlos calls it, Norwegian. Indeed. No. At number five. It sounds like someone's going to the toilet. <laughs> it's wizard. Right. <laughs> okay, number four, please. A Vueling Airlines. Lovely. And number three, please, Carlos. And number three is Flybee. Number two, please, Nev. And that is EasyJet. And it is, uh, it's the best value airline in the world ever, please, Captain Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ryanair. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have bought you a bucket if I'd known. Yes. Like, Carlos, one of these days I'm going to sit you down in front of... Uh, um, hello, it's getting louder. That's okay, it's supposed to be going down, What's you doing there? Yeah, Tell me, while Matt sorts that out, we're yeah. going to go over what, who exactly Blue Air Who are, are Blue Air? no one seems yeah. to know who Blue, Blue Air are. Please educate me. So, Blue Air... Uh, whose call sign is Blue Messenger, founded in 2004, uh, operate from lots of places in Europe, including uh, Larnaca, Liverpool, Turin, Costanta. Uh, They're a Romanian uh, airline. And I, yes. Right. Thank you. Do they uh, fly out of Heathrow? No, unfortunately not. No. They do fly out of Stansted, because... They do fly out of Stansted. You've seen I've, them. I've, yes. I've frequently seen them in Stansted, yeah. yeah. Uh, they uh, have an all-Boeing fleet um, of... Uh, they have some really That's new... another reason I wouldn't fly. I know. <laughs> they have some incredibly new 737-300s. They have right. one of those. Uh, they also have a even newer 737-400. Uh, moving on to the five... Oh, they've got some 500s. And okay. someone had to buy them. The Dash right. 500s okay. uh, and the set Dash 700s as well, and they've also got some of the quite newer, the Dash 800 737s, and they've also got 12 of the 737 Max 8s on order. Very good. So there we go, that's Blue Air. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next part of the show. This is uh, uh, Nev's passenger experience. While Nev's passenger experience is going to be playing, I'm going to be educating Carlos in how Pick of the Pops actually works so that he doesn't do that to <laughs> me in mid-link ever again. So Nev, maybe I could hand over to you, please, as you introduce a very special Nev's passenger experience. Yes, of course. Thank you very much indeed, Matt. Well, uh, you know, I often ask people to uh, <clears throat> send an email or, or give me a shout with regard to uh, having a chat with me about their passenger experiences. Uh, and this uh, gentleman did just that. His name's Jan Hubner, and he comes from uh, Berlin. And uh, I met him down at uh, Heathrow Terminal 5 last week. We had a very good chat, and this was the result. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another in the series of Nev's Passenger Experience. Well, I've been encouraging our listeners to get in touch with me if they would like to do an interview regarding their flying experiences. And Jan Hubner from Berlin did just that, I'm pleased to say. I had the pleasure of meeting Jan at Heathrow's Terminal 5 the other day and over a coffee we chatted about aviation in general and about the kind of flying that he does. It didn't take very long for me to realise that Jan is a serious av geek and as you'll hear, this is a man that is prepared to spend more than a few euros in pursuit of his hobby. I began by asking Jan what brought him to Heathrow this time. Well, actually, uh, Heathrow is one of my uh, preferred spots to change planes, obviously. 
And I'm on a trip to go plane spotting in the United States. And uh, that's going to be taking me over British Airways. Very nice, too. Now, I'm guessing by the way that you're dressed and looking at your gold card there, you won't be flying economy. No, I got the pleasure of flying uh, first class on BA. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I flew in from Bucharest, because I'm actually uh, located in Berlin in Germany. But BA sometimes have great deals in their premium cabins. If you just look at the, um, the well-known sites like uh, Flyer Talk or something, uh, you find them, and they're usually not from London. There are some places, either in Scotland or mainland Europe, and you get a great deal, and you got the pleasure to enjoy the great service. Have you flown BA first class before? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I think my last one was three years ago on the 7-4 from London to JFK. And uh, obviously a couple of times in Club World. And uh, the best flight I've had on BA was BA1 from London City to JFK. That was fantastic. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this one again. The BA1 is the London City Shannon JFK sector. How did that work in Shannon when you uh, checked in uh, through uh, US immigration there? Well, uh, they ask you on board or they tell you on board when you leave the plane for the refueling stop, if you have hold luggage, just go outside and wait for a couple of minutes. They have a little seating area there and I have a nice habit going for the smoking area. So you go outside the terminal and then come back and they have uh, a U.S. immigration, it's like every immigration, you know, it, like Heathrow or Gatwick or something, but it's staffed by the CBP, and you go there, and they show you a picture on a monitor. Is this your suitcase? Yes, ma'am, it is. Okay, and they stamp, you, they stamp your passport, ask you the usual questions. What are you doing? How long do you stay? What's the purpose of your trip? And then you're good to go. And uh, once you're on the plane, you are basically in the United States, and you arrive at uh, Terminal 7, and you just go out straight to the domestic sector and off you go. Excellent. Now, when, you're going, when you go to the US this time, what, what are you expecting to do? Well, um, I'm going all the way to Honolulu, which is probably not the, the usual thing you would do on a long weekend with a bank holiday. And my wife looked at me and she said, yeah, okay, I understand you're doing this. How come you have fun spending 36 hours on a plane each way, just being there 48 hours. Uh, I have a nice place uh, in the airport hotel at Honolulu, which gives me a great view to the runways. Brought my camera, brought my lenses, and uh, gonna spend a couple of hours plane spotting. You know, you have all the exotic stuff coming in from Asia over there, which you don't see in Europe that much. And also for me, uh, I'm an F-geek, so I enjoy sitting on a plane actually for 36 hours and also enjoying a good service and also looking at where the differentiation is between, let's say, like BAs first and Americans first, how they do things, how other companies do things. And you can learn a lot of that. BA is coming for a lot of stick recently again for lowering the quality of service and, and that kind of stuff. What's been your experience so far? Well, my experience, uh, I have to say, and 
just take it with a grain of salt. I haven't flown economy for the last 10 years, unfortunately, so to say. Uh, Club Europe uh, hasn't gone much better since they changed the cabins, I have to say, unfortunately, because they had wider seats beforehand. Now with the 320 Neos, they are trying to get rid of the little table you have in between the middle seats, which I think is not the right decision to do, because that's usually where you put your, your glass and your water and something and stuff you have. Uh, it's very convenient. I'm not really sure if they should do away with that. And from my point of view, BA is within Europe one of the only carriers you consider a premium carrier. So in whatever travel class you're in, in the cabin, you should be insured when you buy a BA ticket, you got a premium service. And I'm not really sure if this buy on board stuff in Europe, in economy is really in favor of them because that makes them just another EasyJet or Ryanair or something. The premium cabins on the long on the long haul should be improved, I have to say, because when you look at Air France, what they are doing, when you look at Lufthansa, what they are doing with the new business class and first class products, that is something BA needs to progress on. We need to do a second interview with you, really, when you come back from the US, don't we? So you can tell us uh, what your experience was. If you want to, I'm really uh, delighted to do that. And uh, if not, if you don't find some time, I'll send you some uh, video and some voiceover. That would be very good. Well, here we are sitting just at the threshold of 09 left at Heathrow, and the sun is almost coming out, I'm pleased to say. Um, but, of course, the plane spotting opportunities here at Heathrow are very limited these days since they stopped the Queen's Building viewing uh, area and that kind of stuff. Have you always been a, an av geek, uh, Jan? I've been an AF geek, and I have to tell you, I've been an AF geek when BA's uh, Concorde came to Berlin Tegel Airport the first time in the in the late 70s. So I was like six years old, and uh, I will always go on. You know, once in aviation, always in aviation. Does your wife understand you? Because my wife doesn't understand my fascination with it all. Uh, I give you the diplomatic answer. Um, I think she doesn't understand really deeply what aviation is all about but uh, she's come to the point where she lets me do my thing I have to say yes yeah, she wants a quiet life yes <laughs> happy wife happy life exactly so how long are you in the US for Jan two days oh so it's a really quick trip then really yeah I'll be back uh, I think Tuesday morning I have to go back to work and my colleagues, they looked at me so when, I came back, when I came to the office yesterday with my carry-ons. They looked, where are you after? Um, I'm going to Honolulu. Really? And you're back on, on Wednesday morning? Yes. You're crazy. <laughs> Have you flown on any of the newer technology aircraft, such as the A350 or the Dreamliner yet? I've flown quite a bit on the Dreamliner because my wife's family is in Chile in South America and we usually... Well, before Air Berlin gone belly up, we usually flew Air Berlin uh, from Berlin to JFK in business and then further on with LATAM on the, tree, on the Dreamliner, which I have to say is a lovely aircraft. I really like it. Uh, you really feel the uh, extra humidity and the cabin pressure when you, when you land in the morning after 10-hour sector. You don't feel that dry as 
usually your throat and your nose would do when you're flying on all aircraft. Had no chance to fly the 350 yet because there's not so many airlines picking it up. A good friend of mine is probably having a conversion course from the 340, 600 uh, to the 350, fingers crossed, on Lufthansa next year. So probably I have a chance to fly with him one day. Uh, 380 doesn't really is the thing for me because I think it's an ugly aircraft from the aesthetics point of view. Maybe nice from the technology, not my cup of tea. Today I'm going on the 7.4, which is the queen of the skies. Maybe old technology, but still nice looking aircraft. And it's nice that BA are going to run them for the next few years too, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. I mean, it's... There's so there's so little air, uh, so little airlines that still operate the 74. I mean, everybody's retiring them. Lufthansa is keeping them on. I think to 2025. BA is keeping them. Air France got rid of them. KLM is trying to get rid of them. United is retiring them. Delta retired them. It's still a nice plane. Uh, there's only I think there's only Air China, Korean Air, Lufthansa who got the 747-8 which is a shame. It's a nice aircraft, beautiful plane. Uh, so I'm really enjoying being on the 7.4 today again and keep it in my memory. Brought a good lens, brought a good camera, make some nice pictures, and they'll always be in my memories. Well, we look forward to catching up with you when you come back, Jan, and thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you, Nav. Uh, thank you, Matt, and thank you, Carlos, for the great podcast you do. Always keep up the good work and happy landings blue skies guys find this and other great shows at the aviation media network the voices in your head.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. flyby 5823 trent dane for 23r manchester wizz air 6x client flight level 210 direct to britain's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. Tandem 2TME, turn right onto Bravo, link 21, join Alpha, hold at Mora, Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. 
NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So, for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Safe to say, sterling work as always, Mr. Bowers. Oh, what an interesting chap uh, Jan is, and uh, it was a great, uh, great chat we had with him uh, down at Heathrow. And uh, we'll be doing a return visit, probably over Skype or something. But he's going to tell us uh, how he got on. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he, he, this chap does spend an awful lot of money on his he hobby. Does. But, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, he, it must be. Uh, I'm very understanding why. Yeah, like I say, there's several comments in the chat room about that. Uh, one of which they're saying actually that we need to. Uh, he needs to get himself over to Farnborough so we can sort of all come and meet him. It sounds like mm. a, a great yep. thing. As, as, as sort of like uh, as one one dedicated av geek um, was one of the things that Liz said. Uh, close closely followed by uh, Liz again saying that um, uh, that's uh, or as uh, Auntie Sue would say, um, an aviation weirdo. I think, which is uh, <laughs> yes. indeed where we. Where we he sounds like yeah. a really nice. Nice chat, Nev. That was uh, he is. quite nice. Yeah, very much you. so. So, looking yeah. forward to chatting to him again in yeah. a couple of weeks' time. Excellent. Indeed. So, moving on to the next part of the show, then we've got a few military stories lined up for this week. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, Mr. Warner. That's, <laughs> that's if his update's <laughs> finished, <laughs> obviously. That's, that's if you're right. Yeah, he's now on 28%, 29%, probably, probably 20, 29% yeah, so of his update. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, indeed. So, we have got some military news stories. So, if everyone's ready, Yes, yes, I think we're yes, all ready. Ah, yes. oh, there he is, there he is. Sorry, I thought I was worried Nick had disappeared. Here we go, military. So the first story in the military segment this week is a real sad story. Of course, this uh, came onto the news feeds earlier on this week, and uh, this one's on the Express.co.uk website. And uh, the headline: All nine dead as a C-130 Hercules military aircraft crashes near Savannah, Georgia. So all nine airmen have been killed after a military cargo plane crashed onto a highway near Savannah, Georgia. Uh, the National Guard spokesman initially said the crash had killed at least five people on board the plane which was conducting a training mission when it crashed. Puerto Rican authorities have since detailed nine people were on board the aircraft when it crashed. A local official insisted there were no survivors in the horrific incident. CCTV footage of the crash shows the transport plane nosedived into a Highway 12 close to Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. People close to the crash site said they saw the aircraft plummet to the ground before hearing a loud explosion around 11.30am local time uh, or 4.30 uh, British Standard Time. And uh, pictures from the scene taken shortly after the crash showed thick black smoke billowing from the flaming wreckage which had travelled across two lanes of Highway 21. 
Debris from the crash uh, was scattered across both lines of the uh, road, and officials said it was an absolute miracle uh, the C-130 cargo plane did not hit any cars when it smashed into the highway. An investigation has been launched to determine the cause of the crash, and the U.S. Air Force confirmed the crash plane was from the 15 or 156th airlift wing which is based in Puerto Rico. Witnesses reported hearing a loud crash followed by the explosion and said one person said the ground shook like a bomb was going off. Motorists have been asked to avoid the area uh, around Highway 21 and Gulfstream Road. Uh, Denver Goodwin who works close to the crash site told CNN it was horrible. The ground shook and all the people in the building started panicking. It was absolutely horrible. Uh, President Donald Trump tweeted uh, uh, to express his sympathy to the families of those killed in the crash. He said that uh, he'd been briefed on the USC-130 Hercules cargo plane from uh, the Puerto Rico National Guard that crashed near Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. And he said that please join me in thoughts and prayers for the victims and their families and these great men and the women of the National Guard. Savannah Hilton Head International Airport warned passengers to expect uh, disruption to flights uh, scheduled to depart, uh, and that was on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, the C-130 transport plane is used by dozens of countries across the world, including the UK, and is capable of carrying up to 90 passengers uh, or more than 20,000 kilos worth of equipment. It's really sad. I mean, I saw the, the when this story broke when I was at work actually mm. this week and, and saw this, mm. and um, yeah, it's uh, in, incredibly sad to see it something is. like this. Yeah. They have had a few incidents in the U.S. this year so far, um, accidents and that, and it's you know it's 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 horrible to see these sorts of things. But um, I should just say that, that if you if you are, I'm not sure if if you're interested in this sort of thing. I've decided actually not to play it uh, out of respect for those who have mm. uh, lost their lives but uh, if you are interested in seeing the video that they mention uh, from the CCTV uh, that's available on the express.co.uk uh, and then if you search for the C-130 crash I'm sure you'll find it but uh, yeah I sort of decided that perhaps that wasn't mm. uh, appropriate to I watched to I did play. actually see the see the first time I saw it was actually today the video and that mm. that, that um, was you yeah. well it's on one of the investigation sites mm. and it does go into a real steep bank and then nose dives, yeah. but uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does sort of drop, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's you know. I don't Have you seen I that one, Nick, or not? I, yeah, sadly, uh, I I took a look. Um, it's interesting. Armando says it was a WC one thirty, uh, which is uh, the weather variant that uh, often uh, goes and hunts out hurricanes, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the the only similar incidents I. Seen uh, not of 130s necessarily, but uh, I'm thinking back to the 747, the cargo freighter that got airborne out of mm. Afghanistan yeah. and uh, nosed in when their cargo shifted. Um, this sort of loss of control is usually something pretty dramatic like mm. that, either a major failure of the flight controls mm. or um, a major change in the center of gravity. Um, they're pretty good. Well, they're fantastic pilots, quite honestly. Um, the uh, the aircraft has a remarkably good safety record. Uh, it's been around for so many years and still being produced. Uh, probably the uh, the longest um, military aircraft uh, in production ever, and it's sold thousands upon thousands. Mm. So there, it is a really excellent workhorse. Very sad to see uh, it going, and even worse to have the loss of the whole crew. 
it is awful. Moving on then to yeah. the next story, Matt. Do you want to take yeah. this one? Uh, the next story. This is on the Telegraph, and the headline is uh, Luftwaffe. Is it? Is that right? Luftwaffe. Yes. Luftwaffe. Oh, there's hope yeah. for me yet. Well done, me. Uh, <laughs> Luftwaffe down to four combat-ready Eurofighters out of 128 as pressure builds over weak defence spending. Apparently, so only four of Germany's 128 Eurofighter aircraft are operational and ready for combat in the event of a crisis. It was claimed yesterday uh, in revelations that will deepen pressure on Europe on on Europe and Germany. To live up to, uh, to to live up to its defence commitments, uh, the remaining aircraft have been grounded by technical problems and a shortage of combat missiles, according to a report in the Spiegel magazine. The alleged problems could leave Germany unable to fulfil its NATO commitments and could weaken the alliance's air capabilities. The news came as it emerged that France will sign a deal for a. 10-member coalition of the willing in June, a uh, coalition of the winning in June, to unite countries with the both um, military will and the means to act in Africa. Uh, the coalition will include the UK after Brexit oh dear, uh, in a move which potentially undermines German uh, desires to reboot European defence under the auspices of the European Union, with EU diplomatic sources confirming that Germany had only reluctantly accepted the initiative. On Wednesday, the German Defence Ministry confirmed that some of its Eurofighters have been affected by technical issues, but said that details of how many aircraft remain operational are classified. Uh, the problems are the latest in a series of equipment shortages in the German military, already causing concern amongst its NATO allies. But according to the Spiegel report, the situation is more serious than previously thought. Officially, the German Air Force has 82 Eurofighters available to NATO reaction forces, but the magazine claims the majority are unable to fly combat missions and can only be used for training flights. All but 10 of the fighters, uh, the fighters are suffering from serious issues with their automated systems. Cooling fluid is leaking from sensors in the wings that are, support, that are supposed to detect enemy aircraft, making the sensors completely unreliable. The problem could be easily repaired, but engineers are unable to source the necessary big parts because the manufacturer has gone out of business. In addition to this, the Air Force only has enough missiles to arm four of the Eurofighters for combat. The armed forces are currently fulfilling all their operational obligations, a military spokesman said in a statement. But Spiegel quoted an unnamed source as claiming Germany is hiding behind the fact that there are currently no NATO operations in need of aircraft. We can say with good conscience and that large parts of our forces are ready for operations because there are no operations, uh, the source said. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> different. Uh, the, the, the claims came as Angela Merkel's coalition government clashed over the defence spending yesterday. Uh, Olaf Schloss, who is the finance minister, presented plans to the cabinet to increase defence spending by 2.5 billion euros over the next three years, but the amount fell short of the 12 billion, that's 10.5 billion pounds in sterling. Uh, the defence ministry said it says it needs to address equipment shortages and Ursula von der Leyen, the defence 
Defence Minister uh, released a statement describing it as far from enough. Mrs Merkel has come under pressure to increase military spending to meet NATO tar- NATO's targets of 2% of GDP as Donald Trump calls for Europe to pay more towards the cost of its own defence. But under the plans outlined by Mr Schultz, the um, German defence budget would be only 1.23% of GDP in 2022, current, based on current growth forecasts. Hmm. Is it safe to say, Nick, um, obviously because uh, you were obviously in the, uh, in the Air Force m- uh, many moons ago, but is it safe to say, would you say, Nick, that we're not as well protected as we were when you were uh, behind the seat of a fast jet? Uh, yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, the size of the forces in Europe uh, has shrunk and ours has shrunk markedly. So, um, yeah, we we had uh, literally dozens of squadrons and we're now down to a very few. The aircraft are more capable, but everyone's aircraft in uh, developed countries are more capable. So all we've done is kept pace, uh, but uh, in absolute numbers, uh you know, we're a, a tiny fraction uh, of the air force that we used to be. Same in manpower, um, and it looks like Germany is suffering uh, quite a lot. Now it's interesting because when I was in the military, we used to have regular uh, exercises uh, run by NATO to test our ability and our um, equipment, um, and uh, we couldn't have got away with only having four aircraft that were capable of being armed by real missiles because uh, when these exercises were run we were required to put war loads onto all the aircraft Uh, we were required to demonstrate their serviceability and um, we were regulated by um, NATO um, referees, NATO officers would come along and mark the base uh, on its capabilities so you just couldn't get away with this sort of thing Um, but uh, to be fair this is only a newspaper report and it's not confirmed by uh, anything other than this one source who appears to be sort of um, keeping himself uh, well hidden. So uh, it's hard to say whether this is in fact true or not. Also, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and mention the word Brexit for for a real yeah. reason here. I know I'm going to regret this, aren't I? But I mean, one would argue because apparently, you know, according to this story, obviously Germany's nose is out of joint because we're, you know, we are essentially leaving the European Union. But I mean, we are still part of Europe. I mean, we will never not be part of Europe, if you see what I mean. You know, the UK. Well, is more importantly, uh, Matt, we're part of NATO now. NATO exactly. is a force. The European force does not include uh, US. Um, forces True. Uh, so NATO does uh, and it was it is a combined force of Europe and the US which is inc- would be markedly stronger uh, mm. than any European any of commerce army that yeah. uh, would be invented um, and un- but under that commitment to be part of NATO you have to provide a certain level of input a certain mm. level of equipment and it sounds like Germany might be falling down on their agreements here. Well, indeed. And what are the repercussions for Germany if they do um, fall short of that ag- agreement? I think um, uh, US can go in and take them over. I think. Right. We've done it a couple of times before. Right. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, only co- joking. Slightly uh, controversial uh, there. <laughs> friends. Uh, I'm sure it won't come to that. I mean, mm. it, it just would be a huge embarrassment for the. Uh, 
German um, government really right. Indeed. to yeah. say that they had this commitment and are failing to keep to it because yeah. all it means is that the other members of NATO, should it come to it, uh, would be putting their forces in uh, to help protect a country that's unwilling to protect itself because yeah. it's holding back on uh, the level of uh, funding necessary, which would be a very sad situation. Indeed, and also it's not something, I mean, we, we, we often sort of hear Germany sort of, you know, being sort of, you know, the ones with all the money and, you know, sort of bailing people out left, right and centre, certainly as far as, you know, countries in Europe that have been have been struggling financially. Uh, it just seems a bit strange to have a sort of negative, if you like, story to do with Ger with Germany, specifically with their military. I think internally they have the same problems we do of balancing yep. the cost of running their country yeah. uh, against the cost of maintaining a well-equipped uh, military. Indeed. Mm. I think we'll move on because that's all a bit too sensible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bring back the Spitfire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. They were much cheaper, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 that is true. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nev, next story. Yes, it's on the Forces Network website, and it says that new Typhoon simulators allow pilots to train in four-ship formation. I beg and your pardon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dodged a curveball there, sir. Keep your teeth in. <laughs> uh, so the squadrons at RAF Lossiemouth can now train in a formation of four aircraft, known as a four-ship, a formation that is essential on operations. The expansion of the Typhoon training facility at one of the RAF's busiest bases saw the installation of two additional emulated deployable cockpit trainers, or flight simulators, bringing the total to four. Previously, with just two flight simulators, the Moray-based squadrons had to travel to RAF Coningsby to do four ship exercises in the simulators there, or live fly, which used valuable resources such as aircraft, fuel and support assets. Flight Lieutenant Johnny Mulhills, number two squadron at RAF Lossiemouth, said having to travel that distance is significant. It takes a day out going there and coming back. Yes, it would do. So having that facility on our doorstep makes a massive difference to our flying programme and the rate and quality of the training that we can get up there. RAF Lossiemouth is currently undergoing a £132 million expansion with an additional 500 personnel due to be deployed to there. Pilots at RAF Lossiemouth defend the UK's northern airspace and typhoons have been scrambled to escort Russian Air Force bombers which were flying over the North Sea. That's all very interesting. Were you based at uh, Lossie, uh, Nick? No, uh, just down the road on a bit further south on the east coast, Lucas uh, oh, was my right. base. But when they ripped the runway up once, we all deployed, uh, well, we deployed our squadron to Kinloss, which hmm. is ne right next door to Lossie. So I, I know the air area well. I've fl flown into Lossie uh, on numerous occasions. Uh, so I, I know, um, you know, the base and the air, local area. It's, uh, it's quite fantastic up there. Some of the low flying, it's the best in, well, it's not really necessarily the best in the world, but it is beautiful. It's gorgeous yeah. up there. Yeah. Yep. And th this is actually, uh, you may not realize just how uh, important this kind of facility is, because uh, when you just sit in one simulator and you're on your own and you can't really do much, you can't, practice tactics, you can make individual uh, simulator attacks, you can practice emergency procedures and practice flying just like I would as an airline pilot in a simulator, landing the aircraft and making approaches, that sort of thing. But when you can get four up interacting uh, and you can uh, effectively uh, fly in proper formations and combine your tactics, 
it becomes a hugely valuable tool. To be fair, though, uh, there are an awful lot of people out there who will be uh, well familiar with this sort of scenario because they probably on their home PCs, they've been flying Microsoft Flight Sim, and uh, there are plenty of organizations out there which will fly uh, virtual air forces, and they will have been linking for years over the internet and flying multi-formations, uh, uh, you know, live with each other um, in combined formations. Uh, so for them, it's old hat for the Air Force to get, you know, four aircraft mm. up in uh, that can combine, four simulators up that can combine is obviously very fancy. But uh, I suspect the Air Force ones are slightly slicker, though, than most people <laughs> with uh, Microsoft Flight Sim. Although, of course, there are some notable, ex, uh, um, notable uh, guys out there with uh, who've invested a lot of money into their yes, personal yeah, stuff. Yeah. and. Uh, Notable exceptions was the word I was looking for. Yeah. You know, back in January, we were obviously all down in London for the 200th, and we were all having to go in the um, the sim. Boing. The Boeing, yes. yeah, the sim there. <laughs> and uh, hands up, anyone who'd like to have a go in, in one of these flight sims? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a chance to go with the uh, Irish Air Corps in the PC-9 simulators, and they were, they were quite cool. That was a, that was a good, good, few, uh, good few hours I spent in those. Nev, you want to have a go on one of these sims? Oh yes, definitely. That's my kind of thing. But it must must save the air force an awful lot of money by mm. by doing this stuff in the simulator, mm. rather than mm. to get real assets into the air, as they say. And um, yeah, it's, it's good good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. I remember uh, when I was uh, out of the air force before I uh, joined the airline I worked for. Uh, I spent quite a while. Uh, I think several months working uh, for British Aerospace out of Wharton. Uh, doing uh, flights for them in uh, tornadoes. Um, and they had their uh, Eurofighter simulator there, which they were using to develop the Eurofighter, which was yet to get airborne. Um, and uh, it was in one of these fabulous domes. And I was very impressed with it. But one of the things you had to be real careful, because you'd often be allowed in there to see it fly. Uh, and you'd be standing on the gantry uh, just beside the cockpit. Uh, it's very easy because of the illusion of movement that a, an entirely encompassing dome gives you to fall off uh, because as the world tilted, you would tilt until you actually topple off the side because you're only standing on a kind of a, um, a sort of walkway beside the simulator and they, they had to make you hold on. You had to hold on very tight to the handrails. So didn't fall over <laughs> because the illusion of movement was so strong. Mm. So the last story then in the military segment there, Nick, do you want to take this one all about the... Uh... This is all about uh, the very special uh, MB1 uh, Bremont watch, a worth almost dying for. What a headline, eh? Um, I, I guess you must have shares in this company, um, Matt and Carlos? Oh, of course, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hundreds of these. Seems to be one huge advert. Um, some folks get a fancy watch for serving 25 years in the same company. Others get one for being fired out of a plane via a Martin Baker ejector seat. Uh, Jim uh, Bernthal is one of the latter. And recently he put his uh, Bremont Martin Baker Special Edition MB1 up for sale. Among the British watchmakers, many military commissions and partnerships, which include the U-2, designed for and tested by pilots flying the high-altitude 
a Lockheed U-2 surveillance aircraft. Uh, the first model of its Martin Baker MB series is offered for sale only to pilots who have survived the traumatizing experience of ejecting from a jet. So the only thing you get for free is a tie. If you want to have the watch, you have to apply to, I'm, this is me speaking, not them. You have to apply to the watch manufacturer with the uh, correct number of your uh, ejection and uh, the documentation, and then they will sell you one of these. For collectors uh, of aviation watches, this sale via Crown and Caliber represents a rare opportunity to join one of the most exclusive watch owner clubs out there without first having to stare death in the face. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Bernthal, then a U.S. Marine Corps flight instructor, bought his MB-1 uh, after a fateful day in March 2008 at Mississippi's Naval Air Station Meridian. Weather conditions were so adverse that he had expected the T-45 Goshawk, which I might say is a British-designed uh, aircraft, mm -hmm. uh, a single-engine tandem seat fighter. He anticipated flying in as supervisor on a training mission to be grounded. Given the talent of his trainee and the relative straightforwardness of the expected maneuver, a coordinated in-flight meeting of two jets separated by a mere thousand feet all proceeded as planned. Mr. Bernthal says it wasn't until landing time that things started to get hairy. At first I thought my student was just fighting some crosswind, so I wasn't all that worried, he said, given the layer of fog that had been draping the runway for takeoff, a legal divert, basically a backup plan, had been set up just in case. Then things got worse. Mr. Bernthal was forced to grab the controls and bring the T-45 back airborne as it began skating off the runway. Circling around, it became clear that the jet's electronics were failing to acknowledge the plane's proximity to the ground, amongst other issues. As they began to touch down again, they encountered a further lack of braking and control. Mr. Bernthal had just one option, reach for the bright yellow and black handle of the Martin Baker ejector seat before the jet would be torn apart in the forest that lay ahead. While his student landed without injury, Mr. Bernthal did not. The thrust from an ejector seat imposes between 14 and 16 Gs on the human spine um, and causes one in three ejection survivors to suffer a broken back. Um, it goes on a wee bit. Uh, he does say, though, that selling this watch is very bittersweet. Uh, Mr. Benthor considers the token a celebration of life because he was given a second chance to live. Um, the MB-1 is instantly recognizable um, by its bright red case barrel, yellow second hand, and full Martin Maker logo on the black dial. Inside, the self-same uh, winding, sorry, the same self-winding Chromator certified caliber um, equipment power it. Um, unlike other models, the MB series has case hardened steel inscribed with the date of the ejection, March the 4th, 2008, and his initials, JPB, and the Martin Baker Tie Club membership, 5575, assigned by MB after entry to a club nobody intended to join. Um, it, they they estimate it'll be uh, it's worth fifty five thousand pounds oh, wow. for the person who uh, is going to buy it. No, sorry, dollars, US dollars. Wow, it's wow, still a lovely. It's a beautiful watch, though. I have to say. 
Even though it, you have it to, is, you've it got, is. Breitling mm. and Bremont both make, make lovely uh, aviators watches. The Bremont is uh, very distinctive, uh, but it does have a lot of links with various uh, uh, military units, and uh, mm. you know they do one with a Phantom on, they do one with a um, a Tornado F3 on, uh, but I've never been able to find the the Spondoolie to go out and get one. No. Is, so that, that, is that is that is that um, uh, sort of something you've always wanted to sort of? Like, well, I mean, have you ever seen one? That, yeah, I hope I hope it, Nick's not watching one of these watches. No, well, no. Well, not, uh, not. I wouldn't. I'd quite like a Bremont. Yeah, they're lovely. Some of my fancies yeah. buying me one. I don't really want to have to <laughs> climb into an jet to see Right, right, okay. <laughs> particular <laughs> versions. Yeah, but you can get an extremely similar one uh, looking one. Mm. Uh, obviously, without the um, identifying marks mm. that the Martin Baker version does. Um, just by uh, writing to them uh, and you know saying that you're part of a squadron and you like one of the military ones. So as uh, Carlos started to allude there, it is sort of time to sort of uh, bring things to a close, unfortunately. Yeah. I should just say, actually, we've got a couple of pieces that Armando uh, took for us uh, when he was at the uh, GA show uh, a couple of weeks back, which we're going to play out uh, next week. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got those to, to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. got those to look yeah. forward to, but it was great. But, so uh, before we wrap up then, Nick, obviously you've been, uh, you've been off the, uh, the flying club for a little while. Are you looking forward to getting back in the hot seat? Uh, of course, I'd love to make some money. It's, uh, right. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, they are still paying me, thank you uh, yeah. very much, to my company. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I'm, I do miss the flying. Um, I don't miss some of the long hours. I don't miss no. some of the antisocial bits of it. But uh, the pure joy of getting an airplane and flying it, one I don't think we're ever going to miss that no. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I only have about a month now before I uh, can reapply to the CA to get my uh, medical unsuspended and uh, once that is done I, I'll be on. I've got a simulator coming up uh, um, in the week on the weekend uh, not this weekend uh, next weekend and um, that uh, will bring me current on the 340 I'm, my simulator currency is right on the 330 and I've got to do a day on the 340 uh, and then it's just a matter of waiting uh, for all the Doctors to have their way with me. So oh, well, there's a treat. Yeah, mm, <laughs> some gloves are ready. To. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Let's absolutely. hope they warm them for you. Uh. Well, for those of you who do uh, um, subscribe to the APG and our Patreons, I put a little a little uh, uh, Patreon crew log about my latest medical escapade, oh. which involved pounding along on a treadmill oh. whilst being wired up to uh, every gauge that. You can possibly think of that science um, has invented, yes, and that was just and that was just so he could hit V one. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed. Oh. Okay, so uh, for those of you who uh, have uh, perhaps been stuck in a tunnel and have never heard of the legendary APG, how do they find out all about uh, your show, which I believe is coming up in a seventeen minutes? Oh, sorry, let me say sixteen minutes and fifty nine seconds time. <laughs> well, yeah, I believe uh, we're going to be going, uh, probably starting around 10 o'clock UK right. time. By the way, BST is British summertime. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that, uh, okay. uh, Carlos. Yes, I know. It's been a long week. It's been a long week. It's been a long week. So you can find our uh, website at uh, .com. Uh You can find us on Twitter if you... Uh, uh, address us uh, as APG Crew. Uh, we're on Facebook uh, 
uh, forward slash airline pilot guy. And we also have uh, a Slack account, but I think you best listen to the show and Hillel will explain to well, you indeed. how to get involved with that. Indeed. So we're, we're around and uh, of course uh, my personal uh, contribution, uh, particular contribution to the show, The Plain Tales I Tell, has now uh, come out as a separate um, podcast. Indeed. It is. Uh, yes. You can subscribe to it uh, through iTunes. And of course, if any of your lovely listeners um, that enjoys it, uh, then please uh, feel free to leave a, a, a nice five-star review. I'd be most appreciative because it does help uh, improve the uh, visibility yeah. of Plain Tales and, of course, APG. Uh, and uh, the stories stretch back quite a way. There's well over 100 wow, uh, individual stories there. And um, uh, Captain Jeff has just uploaded to uh, me the uh, last few to get it right up to date and every single story I've ever done will then be on. I've, I've got to just add a few notes and a few pictures and they will uh, all be available uh, in a couple of days um, on both our website and on iTunes. Fantastic. And don't forget, if you want to uh, find us, we are on plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, one of the latest uh, people to have a T-shirt, uh, Ray Davis, he received his uh, this week ah, yes. in incredibly yeah, fast, very fast time. Yeah, very fast. Yeah, it's in, very good. In one week good uh, from sending from the UK. Yeah. So uh, Ray Davis has got his T-shirt, yeah. and uh, they're both off to the Wings Over Illawarra uh, air show this weekend. Indeed. Nev, if they want to get in touch with our show, how do they go about doing that? Yes, that's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And if you are a listener or a viewer and you'd like to have a chat with me about your passenger experience, that's the place to do it. And I'll be in touch with you. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. Why does Nev look like he's in a horror movie? We're not sure. It's kind of a bit dark in the Nev text studio. You're yes, not outside not my again. my normal uh, lighting uh, here today I, uh, because I was so late in... Uh, Preparing for the show, mm-hmm. I, I was waiting for the. Happen. I see a little silhouette. No, stop it! Stop <laughs> it! We're not paying PRS. Uh, it's fine, but uh, yeah. So it's facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK, and our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. If you want to find us on Twitter, I hope everybody's been good children and changed their passwords with Twitter today. If you haven't done so, you probably may or may not be aware that there's been a little bit of a problem with Twitter, and everybody's being recommended to change their passwords. It's a little bit, mm. you know, public service announcement. If you are a Twitter user, uh, changing of your password is uh, highly recommended. Uh, I did see that email and yes. I put it into the spam folder. Did you? Right. <laughs> put it in the spam right. folder. Okay. Anyway, so we're going to yeah, say a big thank you yeah. to all the listeners who've joined us this evening via YouTube and watching the live show. Big thanks to everyone and all you guys and girls out there who've taken time out of your Friday to watch tonight's show. Don't forget, you can also download the show as an audio yeah. uh, podcast via iTunes and Spotify and yeah. um, Podbean and yeah. all the other Amazing um, podcast. So apps what as well. it? There's a there's all sorts of Pod things. Thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a big thanks to all you guys and girls who download the show as an audio uh, show as well. And don't forget, you know, send us some feedback. Do please. Yeah, so a big thanks. We'll say first in the studio to Owen for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thanks for having nice. me. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. 
It's been a while. We're off to the races tomorrow, aren't we? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. We, we're off to the GG. So if anybody's got any tips uh, for Newmarket at the Rowley Mile tomorrow, I'll be eternally grateful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't bet. Hey, now that's, uh, not, that's, not sp- that's not sporting, Nick. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, running a marathon, that's sporting. Okay, right. I'm naked already. <laughs> and also a big thanks also to Nick for joining us this evening as well. Thank you, Nick. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for having me on your fantastic show you're, you're mentioning the word marathon of course Nick's now got to do APG <laughs> after APG. this so he really is doing a, and that's a, a pop- true marathon that, that is a proper oh, that, marathon that is yeah. three hours I yes mean, this is short and also a massive thanks as well not forgetting the awesome guy that is Neville Bounds mm. thanks Nev for joining us this oh, evening. very nice you. thank you very much indeed yeah hope everybody has a nice uh, long bank holiday bank weekend holiday. if you're in the UK and um, yeah, look yeah, forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, I'm having absolutely. a barbecue. Oh, good. Yeah, you, well, you've got the weather for it this time round for a change. Yeah, absolutely, it's oh, going to be lovely. I reckon Neb's going to be polishing his banana this weekend. I beg your pardon. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. high possibility of that actually. <laughs> See if we can straighten it out. Yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, it's alright, it's all got a bit historical in the studio uh, here, so I think we should hurry up and pull the plug. Okay, Anybody though. doing anything exciting over the bank holiday weekend? I'm going to Heathrow tomorrow. Are you? Right, oh right. Control Tower, yes. Oh, very good, day, yes. exciting, yes. exciting, exciting. Oh, and doing anything, anything exciting over the bank holiday? Oh uh, no, you're working. I'm Maybe flying not. up Marseille <laughs> tomorrow and then um, Dublin, I think. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Okay, very exciting. Maybe something else. Uh so Nev's polishing his banana. We've discussed that already. Yeah, I'm doing banana management <laughs> Excellent. Um, and gardening and trying to book a flight to Las Vegas. Yes, uh, yes, and good luck with that one, sir. That sounds yes. like you've got your hands full there. Are they, they all related? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a story. It? it could well be, absolutely. Liz Piper's put uh, about the, bo- the banana polishing uh, thing uh, before his wedding, Carlos. Uh, yes. Anyway... I think that'll be the tagline for tonight's show. What was that? Say that. Say that again out, out loud so I remember. Polishing it. Nev's banana. I'm not putting that as the show title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting that as the show title. Well, well, Nev's gone after dark already. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Great dark. Indeed. Oh. Anyway, on that bombshell, it's time to end. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for joining us as order. As I say, thank you very much to all those who very kindly download the show every week as well. Uh, we will be back, I presume, next Friday. What's the matter with you lot? Oh, the chat room. Okay, anyway, all right. Yeah, we'll be back <laughs> next week. Uh, so until then, from all of us here online and around weekend, the world, everyone. everybody say Woo-hoo. goodbye. Bye. Bye.